Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Happy New Year, everyone. First pod of the new year. It's going to be a huge one, 15 and 60 Western Conference. We're going to go through in order of the standings. And to do that, we will start with a team that probably will not be at the top of the Western Conference standings for much longer, the 26 and 9 Houston Rockets. They are only 6 and 5 since we last checked in on them when they were dominating. They do have a 9.3 net rating per our friends at Cleaning the Glass, which is compiled in non-garbage time. They have the first ranked offense and the 11th ranked defense they have a 99 percent chance of making the playoffs uh per uh, 538 but uh liam is going to be doing this team some uh some troubled waters here to sail through now for the rockets right and i think i think you've got to start with the james harden injury that just happened last game he has a grade two hamstring injury uh they said he'll be reevaluated in two weeks and uh per jeff stotts uh grade two means partial tear and so the injury is it's particularly troublesome for a start and stop player like Harden so this is going to be uh something they're really going to have to monitor over the next couple weeks yeah and some of the estimates that have been floated around uh he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks so that's the earliest he could possibly return but you imagine when he reevaluated usually you're going to need a week or so to ramp up after that but two to three weeks generally for a grade two hamstrings tear is on the low end and then as much as four to six weeks on the high end and generally after about a week or so you can get an idea of how it's beginning to respond but Harden couldn't really straighten his leg last night he was he was limping a lot too I mean and that's when you know a hamstring injury is pretty bad when you can't even walk normally if it's the kind where okay I do an explosive movement now I feel it you know that's one thing but if you can't even move normally that is a a pretty severe injury and so I I think why don't we talk about just what that's going to do to their team over this period before we talk about some of the issues that they've been experiencing even before Harden's injury so Danny what did you think uh what do you think this means for the Rockets in terms of their competitiveness over the next month or so we would say when they can still have Chris Paul on the court I think their offense will be will be very good I mean they the thing about the Rockets is their high-end talent is still really really good but they're a very narrow rotation because D'Antoni just doesn't trust guys outside of the top eight or nine he's gonna have to now (laughs) he he is going to have to now and I mean Gerald they they signed Gerald Green presumably he will have a larger yeah. role so i assume Gerald, they're gonna Gerald start Green closing their game against the lakers uh, their double the overtime game i mean that that game was crazy but so that's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge though and they just don't have as many shot creators we talked a lot in the playoffs last year about how it can be very challenging for a team that only has one guy that can really generate a lot of the offense and gordon has been better this year to his credit he has been better creating on the ball and they're probably going to have to stagger those guys a fair amount too just to have somebody else who can do it because unless bobby brown is 
is the answer off the bench or some of their other you know point point guard guys that they can that they can try out this is another time where they're missing Isaiah Taylor it's going to be a challenge because Harden was special there's a reason why he's in serious contention for most valuable player and they don't have a logical replacement for him in full on roster two more points before I turn it over to Liam I would say if you just look at their top six or so guys now with Harden out and you assume Chris Paul missed time with that groin strain over the last two weeks but it looked to be back had a great overtime and double overtime to bring them to victory against the Lakers but you know if he plays 32 35 minutes a game or so you'd say okay that you know they probably have the talent of a team that's you know a high 40s maybe low 50s win team and I would expect their defense to get a little better at least without Harden but you also have to consider how many guys who are just not really rotation quality of players now they're going to have in things and I mean you know Trevor Ariza they're trying to reduce his minutes how many minutes is he going to have to play Harden now you know he suffered that injury in minute 40 of a home game against the Lakers and had been playing a, a lot of minutes at least you know his minutes per game are down because of the blowouts but you know I mean I think when you're in your 40th minute you're kind of in the danger zone for suffering this sort of a, a muscle injury so uh, that's a concern as well I mean I think with this injury you could probably kiss the number one seed goodbye and maybe that'll allow them to chill a little bit although San Antonio could start ramping up uh, with Kawhi back now so uh, Liam uh, why don't I just hand it over to you here just uh, with your thoughts we had you assigned to the Rockets before we knew about this heart and injury but they've been very interesting even before that right and I just want to touch on one one other thing about the heart and injury is I, I think he really values getting that MVP I think he has like that clause in his Adidas contract where he gets a big bonus and I think it matters him to him a lot with reputation yeah. so well, you worry bad yeah <laughs> well yeah now well that that the word i don't know i worry that like maybe he'll try and come back too early you know if it's in you know reevaluated in two weeks he'll try and come back and you know as we know hamstrings are injuries that you know can linger and you know be, get re-aggravated so that's something to keep an eye on but um yeah and also i guess we can just look at the mvp i mean i think if you want to say harden if he's going to miss three weeks you know it, it'll probably be it's gonna be tough for him to win it and now i think lebron james emerges as the clear frontrunner. steph curry has missed it i mean kd probably is looking at like he'll be number two you know and the honest three you know we'll see what happens with the bucks the rest of the year you know maybe this could open the door for Giannis as well if the bucks really start taking off but those those three guys really you would say now are are the guys who have the shot and I think especially with LeBron kind of playing many are saying as well as he ever had this could open the door from kind of a lifetime achievement award if it's at all close and as long as Cleveland doesn't just you know completely crap the bed uh, the rest of the season right and so just talking about how they've been playing lately um the defense has really been failing them lately they had the five game losing streak and then they just got the lakers win so during that six games their defensive ratings 116 and they were missing luke richard and bob mute and capella for five of those games so they've been really missing those guys athleticism you know effort on defense so the defense has been a huge problem and i think you can tie that to a couple guys and one of it with with capella out it was more evident but in lineups where they're playing ryan anderson at center they're really struggling defensively they're giving up 111 defensive rating and teams are just feasting at the rim they're taking a ton of shots to the rim 30% 37% of their shots they're shooting 66% at the rim and they're also getting fouled a ton so they're they're re- teams are really making a concerted effort to attack the rim when Ryan Anderson is playing center in the game now it, yeah, it's also and a little... for Anderson you know you, we the talk has been he's better as a switch defender this year but he still is completely powerless as a help defender and that is the one thing you can't paper over right and, and what's interesting is they've they've tried to you know remedy some of that in lineups where he's playing with Tucker Tucker is the guy guarding the five some of the times but like he he doesn't 
didn't have the length or the size to really be an effective help defender either. So in those lineups, you know, it's P.J. Tucker. He got, um, whenever he's defending in the paint, he just doesn't have the physical tools to do it. He got yeah. absolutely destroyed on a dunk by uh, Caruso in the Lakers game. That was pretty uh, <laughs> bad. Yeah, and like that's that's the type of rim protection they had. The the Lakers game was insane. Like they had, I think they gave up 58 paint, points in the paint through like five minutes through the third quarter, which was, it, it's just insane. It was a layup line the yeah. entire game. It, it was like 80 for the whole game. It was completely ridiculous. Oh, I, I know. And, and part of that was Capella too, because Capella, who although he's a way better rim protector than like Ryan Anderson or PJ Tucker, he had his own problems with Julius Randle just getting, you know, outfit outmanned the entire time. Every time Julius Randle drived, he just got right into his body and just knocked him back. So that's that's an issue. But I wanted to get your guys' opinion on what which position you guys think PJ Tucker is best defending because they had him guarding fives a lot, and I just don't know if he has, you know, the acumen to be a rim protector in situations where they need him to. I personally think of him as kind of a, a four three, just depending on the matchup and depending on what kind of guy is out there. I like his strength against certain players, but if they have such a big quickness advantage, that can become a real problem for him in certain matchups like he can slow some guys down but there are certain guys where the strength it doesn't it doesn't solve the whole thing but yeah so I would say more in that three to four range but in a, like let's say in a playoff series you need to really adjust it based on situation because if he's guarding you know if they try to put him on KD and it just doesn't work then you need to get away from it because the structural parts of it won't change you just need to see how he fits against different guys yeah and for Tucker what you mentioned about him at the five is a great point and there are many people who would say oh you know kind of similar build to dream on green both pretty intense both quick feet but tucker is just he can't get off the ground at all and draymond green is a very quick leaper he's got that huge wingspan and so that's what separates draymond from these kind of wannabe julius randall or pj tucker type of guys who yeah are pretty strong and can switch but draymond also adds the dose of rim protection as well that those guys don't that's what makes draymond green you know just such a unicorn defensively um what any other thoughts on their defense because to me i mean i think their offense is always going to look good Although, you know, it does go into the ISO beat your guy in a switch every time a, a approach late in games for them a lot, which is a concern. But generally, I think their offense is going to be fine. The defense is where, you know, when they were getting up to six in the league or so during their salad days, I wasn't quite buying it. Uh, it. Do you think that this is just a natural regression or is there something else at work to where they might be able to get back to those? Well, personally, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to separate just like, you know, you know, lack of energy during like a long season. And obviously they're pretty established as a contender right now. So it's trying to separate how much of it's just, you know, this point in the season, they don't care, but it, it was, you know, the games I watched were pretty bad, especially the Lakers game. We talked about the points in the paint already, but they had just a lot of guys struggling. I thought the, the, from what I saw from Trevor Reeser, he, he looked much worse on defense than I remembered. I know last season he slipped some, but this season I think, I think he slipped even more. He was really bad in the wizards game, just getting beat off pin downs. And, you know, whenever he closed out on somebody, he, he got blown by by Sadaransky for a huge dunk as well and I think I think a couple of guys on their team that have a reputation as being you know a, a really good defender aren't quite living up to that right now as far as PJ Tucker I, I think he got beat off the dribble a couple times I didn't think he was as strong as you know his reputation was would indicate he also fouls a lot yeah, so yeah, he's he, yeah yeah PJ is not he, he does not have quick enough feet to really stay with the best guys on the perimeter like he could do an adequate job there and then I actually think he's to answer 
your earlier question, I think he's best defending power forward, power forwards one-on-one because he's really good at getting into a guy like say an Anthony Davis uh, and like pushing him off the block a, a little bit of it. But if he really gets out in space with someone against, against someone with a live dribble, like he can be beaten off the dribble pretty easily. Like Kawhi would be a challenge for him. Yeah, you know, actually, I wouldn't necessarily say Kawhi because Kawhi is not that fast. That's you know, a good I, point. I, I think, like, the guys who can get going and change direction, you know, that's what I think actually PJ, I would love to see PJ Tucker and Kawhi matched up more well, closely because it looks uh, like we're going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. In the two, three. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I, and that'll be, oh God, what a series that would be. I really hope that happens. And that'll probably uh, leave us with uh, either, it'll probably leave us with OKC and, and Golden State too, if that, if that happens. And so I am actually kind of happy that this Harden injury happened just because that'll give us kind of our preferred matchups maybe in the playoffs. Um, a couple more minutes here, Liam. Anything else you wanted to say on these guys before we move on? Well, I, I think you just got to talk a little bit about, you know, how you know unbelievable James Harden's been this season I looked up he he's using six percent more of his possession he's using 31 percent of his shots um are coming in ISO which is like six percent higher than like any player in the last three seasons that's as far back as NBA.com goes and in those possessions he's scoring 1.3 points per possession on ISOs so switching against him is just not a viable strategy he was absolutely torching you know good switching bigs like he got Al Horford several uh a couple times in the Celtics game he was getting Jason Tatum off switches just any any big that's you know not an elite wing defender is just somebody that Harden's going to be able to with his change of direction to either blow by for a layup get free throws or and when he's not scoring obviously he's setting up those corner threes for Ariza so he's been fantastic and I do worry a little bit about how Chris Paul is going to handle the offense with James Harden out I don't think he quite looked like himself from even last season now part of that's you wonder if it's just you know rust from the time he's had off or whether it's age-related regression but I didn't think defensively he was quite the same and just offensively I know he's not a player that you know attacks the attacks the rim or beats his man off the bounce a ton now at this point in his career but I thought he showed even less explosion in a one-on-one transition he he looked really awful trying to finish a couple times and just trying to get separation off bigs and off switches he didn't get much you know separation off his crossovers and he was usually setting them for setback jumpers which he's good at but again that's something I worry about that's something to keep an eye on especially with the increased load that he's going to have with Harden out you know I was thinking this and and I see your point in a general sense I thought he was pretty effective against the Lakers who were switching everything and he went one-on-one a, a ton down the end of there and was effective uh, but I actually think w- with him and uh, with a lot of these teams that are going to switch especially if you're a team like the Rockets that have the level of spacing that they do you know Paul was being guarded by Tyler Ennis right and so they would switch and get Julius Randle on him I actually think Paul might have a better matchup just trying to go at Tyler Ennis one-on-one uh, rather than uh, someone like Julius Randle because he can just kind of get into position he's got a great floater game he's got those great fadeaways and he can get his jumper off I think more easily against someone like that or you know on basically the winning play he was able to get in the lane and just use his body to knock Ennis off and then finish so that'll be interesting to see I think more teams especially when you consider the amount of shooting that some of these teams have on the floor now at the end of games that just going with an iso straight up top uh but you know not like super late clock like you got to take the jumper but plenty of time to get to the rim I think we should see more teams try that um maybe not harden because you know he'll usually have a guy who's worse he'll be guarded by the best wing defender but paul is going to be guarded by just you know the other team's kind of run-of-the-mill point guard a lot of the time and to build on that i mean 
I, I think Chris Paul, I mean, despite being a very small player, he likes to play really physical and knock guys back. And it's harder to do that when he has a bigger guy on him. So when he's creating separation, yeah. and like you said on that Ennis play, like he completely knocked him over, which you could argue it was a push off. But I mean, Chris Paul finds ways to get away with that type of stuff. So that's definitely something to watch for. But uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on is the they signed Jailed Green. And you mentioned he, he closed the game against the Lakers. I think I think he's going to be a really good signing for them as just somebody that can soak up wing minutes and really ease the burden on their main guys. I don't think he's going to be much of a player come the playoffs, but he'll he'll shoot a ton of threes, obviously. He is going to hurt the regular season defense. I, I thought he looked completely clueless, clueless in the couple games that he did play. Now, he did, you know, just join the team a couple, you know, days ago, so of course he's going to have to adjust the defensive scheme and whatnot, but he's not exactly a player that's known for his defensive IQ in the first place, so he was really slow making rotations and just understanding, making switches and all that type of stuff, so I'm sure he'll get a little bit better, but that's he's definitely still going to be a liability in that area, I think. So we're nearing 9 p.m. Pacific time here, and that means that after this podcast is over and posted, I'm going to go to sleep on my new Helix Sleep mattress. They're different than other mattress delivery companies because they actually allow you to customize the bed. You take a two to three minute sleep quiz, and then they'll build a custom mattress for you i now own two helix sleep mattresses Longtime listeners will know that they are one of the first sponsors we had on the podcast i tried out one of these one size fits all mattress deliveries it was not good we returned it and then my now fiance found helix sleep she thought it might be a better option with their sleep quiz and i liked it so much that i dm'd their company twitter account and said hey i would love to advertise for your product i love it i would be a great spokesperson and they've now been a sponsor for for over two years. So the way to get started with them is at helixsleep.com slash capspace, that familiar slash capspace URL. Easy to remember, we talk about capspace all the time on the program. That'll get you $50 towards your custom mattress. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace for $50 off your order. That is helixsleep.com slash capspace. Let them know that you came from us. All right, Danny, Golden State uh, next in order here. Well, technically they're first, but I, I moved the Rockets up because of Liam. They're 29 and eight, so slightly ahead of the Rockets. 8-2 and two since the last 15-60. and 60. We'll get into why that is significant. They have a plus 10.7 net rating, which now puts them first in the league. They're second in offense, second in defense, and they're going to make the playoffs. And I think where we should start with this is kind of two different things. So one is, they are right now, they're number one in effective field goal percentage in offense and defense, which is remarkable, but they've done that double every single Kerr season, except for 2015-16, when they were second in, in effective field goal percentage defense. Yeah, so uh, shooting the best and making your opponent shoot the worst is uh, a pretty good recipe for success. One of the things I wanted to talk about is, and we hit on this a little bit on our Patreon mailbag, that really the whole like beautiful game system that they like to play, that just was not there in the games that Curry missed. And I actually thought that they were most effective during that time when they really concentrated more on just running specific plays for Kevin Durant and trying to get Clay Thompson open on shooting sets because they just didn't have enough shooting around those guys I mean they're basically the only guys who were hitting threes they're among the worst teams in the league shooting the three ball while Curry was out the only guys who were hitting threes were Durant and Thompson and then maybe Nick Young would hit him every once in a while but he's too bad defensively to be a, a major player for this team so and I thought not only then you know did they not have the spacing and you had a ton of guys passing up shots 
spots on the perimeter when Thompson or Durant would create the advantage but then they also because they're always trying all these like back doors and and all these passes and stuff without the space there they were turning it over a ton and so I really thought that like just hey you got Kevin Durant let him go to work it and create for everyone else was probably their best offense and that they had some of their best offensive games doing that uh, as opposed to these absolute clunkers that they had against Denver and against Charlotte without Curry um so I, I do think it could be a problem without having any three-point shooting on the team right now Iguodala is really struggling Pat McCaw is really struggling they haven't found you know Draymond is you know that's not his main role he'll take a few every once in a while but he generally you know will pass up a lot of shots trying to to move the ball so Curry is back now they're going to be awesome again but that lack of three-point shooting from anyone else other than those three guys is an issue I feel I agree with you and a big part of it is that mostly due to supply they don't have any sort of a curry light on this team even if it's just a guy who's a catch and shoot one just that's all they can do like you could yeah. think about at times it looked better when they had Quinn Cook out right. there just because he was willing to just take an open the three. Detroit game was a good example of that I mean their defense in that game was spectacular but against Detroit where they just had somebody because McCaw can do certain things out there and Sean Livingston can but they don't really fit within the game you want to play with Kevin Durant those guys are more useful in other circumstances and so yeah as you said the cuts and all that because they, they don't have the same gravity so the, the in terms of even opponent attention you're bringing an opponent into the play whose imperative is not necessarily guarding you like if you bring them into this they could be like oh Kevin Durant's right here I'm gonna you know try to slow him down or something like that and I'm actually working on a piece uh I haven't told you this I'm working on a piece for the athletic about this idea which will be out probably on Wednesday and I think that if this circumstance comes around again they need to be more open about reimagining what the team can be and they can go with the beautiful stuff even though I'm openly critical that, that they should go more basic at certain moments with Curry and Durant that crazy Curry yeah. Durant pick and roll they actually ran they actually ran one yeah. in the in the game against yeah a Durant Curry Durant Curry pick and roll, and roll would be actually, more accurate was, which was awesome, yeah, yeah and so like they should do more of that but I think it's a necessity when Curry's out and they were able to survive it back in 2016 in that in the series against the end of the Houston series and in the beginning of the Portland series partially because Clay Thompson was unbelievable but against the best of the best I think that can be a big problem yeah and they also had Andre Iguodala who was not shooting 23 percent on three-pointers during that period and, and was two years younger and I think you know you talked about the beautiful game well it's not that beautiful when you just like every possession you've just got all these guys trying to cut in the lane and then just like screwing up the spacing and I mean that just happens so often where you'll have some guard just like standing under the basket or standing like in the dunker position like McCaw or Livingston or Omri or Caspi just like tries to cut in the lane every time and sit where you're just like you know KD will try and drive and then it's just like Caspi's guy helps and he can't get him the ball because the passing angle isn't there and it's just like Omri if you just stood in the corner like it's either a layup for KD or you got a wide open corner three instead of trying to cut so like those cuts look great when they work but especially with Steph out you know there's just there's one too many help defenders there to take away those back doors and then they just lead to a ton of turnovers and we saw that in the Charlotte game we did and, and they had some really bad plays in the Nuggets loss as well but something else we should bring up because it happened during this time period and we didn't cover it for anything else is Steph Curry's return game on Saturday against the Grizzlies a game when the Warriors just didn't defend they had made their bones they were the number one defensive team they had a 98.7 net rating or 97.7 defense rating when Curry was out they just dropped they gave up a ton of points uh Memphis is high I think in the first quarter they're high in the first half high in the first three quarters all that kind of stuff but they were able to survive that without any sort of problem because Steph Curry had 37 points on 13 of 17 shooting 10 of 13 from three and three 
assists. He was uh, plus 24 in those 26 minutes when he played. And the Warriors looked like a completely different team. You know, all that stuff that we had just talked about in terms of what they looked like, that all went out the window the first second he was on the floor. Yeah, well, and it also helps your offensive efficiency a little bit when, you know, someone put, can put up 38 points on uh, 18 shooting possessions like Steph did, which was absolutely completely insane. And I think it was only one other time in NBA history, which was Kevin Love, has a player put up 38 points or more in 26 minutes or fewer. And last thing I'll say in this, Kevin Durant was awesome. You know, played NB, MVP caliber ball in most of the games when Curry was out. And his defensive player of the year candidacy is i think is a little bit overrated he's had some clunkers defense. like he'll his best games he'll look really good like on christmas but he'll have a lot of games where he's kind of just like closing out not really poorly you know maybe not being as much of a rim protector just in terms of like making sure that he's there every time to force misses um so i don't think he's consistent enough probably by the end of the year to get my defensive player of the year uh non-existent vote but for kd i mean you know even when he would go off on like a long two-point jumper or a floater in the lane or something something like that like you know and score his 30 points like the oracle crowd just doesn't get hyped for that the way they do with steph curry steph curry is their guy and no matter how well durant plays it seems like it that's always going to be the case and steph has the ability to electrify that crowd and you just you wouldn't be human i don't think as kevin durant if you weren't like hey you know what like all this shit that i did when steph was out injured and like now steph comes back and he's the golden boy again it's like you know can i get a little recognition for like how awesome i was and and you I, I think he wanted to come here he knew that that's kind of what the deal was going to be and I think though that like it, it takes a certain humility and really caring about winning to deal with that because these are guys who have egos and I think you know if I were in his position I'm not saying I couldn't get over it but it's certainly a thought that would occur to me and I think you know given how kind of aware of these sort of things KD is it's a thought that you think might occur to him too it very well could and then that brings in a moment uh, something that I've been trying to articulate for a long time and to me, the best way to do it is that while Kevin Durant is the Warriors' best player right now, Stephen Curry is to me their most important and their most indispensable player. I, I disagree. Actually, I think I think Steph is better than him. Still, uh, um, I, I think if it weren't for the NBA Finals, we, we've talked about this before. That KD is more valuable in that matchup against Cleveland just because of his ability to defend LeBron and give them some more size and make LeBron guard someone. Um, and Cleveland just had no answers for him de- defensively but that Steph Curry had a better playoffs than KD before um the Cleveland series that's true and, I wouldn't argue that at all and yeah and I think if you just look at like you know what they do offensively when Steph plays and KD doesn't versus when KD plays and Steph doesn't I realize you know they have kind of more of a KD replacement perhaps uh, among some of these guys than they do a Steph replacement but nonetheless like I think that Steph Curry you know is still right up there as one of the best offensive players in the league maybe even still the best offense player in the league just because of the panic that he causes and so um you know anyway that that's uh that's neither here nor that's probably enough uh warriors here so maybe we should move on yeah let's move on to the current number three seed the san antonio spurs they are 25 and 12 six and four since the last time we did this plus 2.9 net rating puts them eighth they are 13th in offense fifth in defense and familiar 99 percent chance of making the playoffs and where we have to start with this is is quite leonard quite 
Kawhi Leonard has now been back, and he isn't physically all the way there yet. He does look to me meaningfully better as he's just moving with the ball, moving defensively. He's he's getting there, but he's, he's still not the player he was. But what has been encouraging for the Spurs is that he has been a productive offensive player, even as he's working his way back to 100%. 22.9 PR for Kawhi's 57% true shooting. That is uh, well below the level of the last two years where he was 61% uh, true shooting. Usage right about uh, the same. Hasn't been getting to the foul line uh, quite as much uh, either. You know, that's a, a big part of the true shooting. Taking a few more threes, but you know, again, 35%, not quite at that level. But, you know, I haven't seen anything from him that's been concerning. He's continued to look better as time has gone on. And, you know, if a month from now, he's still kind of not back to being that absolutely dominating force, then maybe we can kind of hit the alarm bells a little bit here. But, um, and defensively, you know, I, I don't think he's been quite the same force either. But another very interesting inquiry here is what does it look like for LaMarcus Aldridge now that Kawhi has returned? Yeah, this is a question that you asked. And I had I had noticed it just when, when I watched the Spurs that that let Marcus has looked a little less engaged during those minutes not not in terms of like defense or anything but just you know he has the ball in his hands less Kawhi Kawhi is very good at that so I started with looking at what it has been this year and so it's not that surprising you know he takes fewer shots he's actually a little bit less efficient and the surprising part to me is this so I'll go through the basic parts of it so we just talked about true shooting and usage so with Kawhi on the floor in just six games hasn't been that much of a sample we're dealing with about 100 minutes here he is has a a 51.5 true shooting and 21.2% usage. And you can compare that to 56% true shooting on a 29.4 usage. That's a big difference. 21 to 29 is huge. And so you sit there and you go, oh, you know, it's a small sample size, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's played a thousand minutes without Kawhi and 98 with him. But what makes this more compelling is that it lines up with last year. So last year, he the, the split was still there. So his usage was a little higher with Kawhi. It was at 24. So that's up a couple notches, but it was at 29 without Kawhi. So that was still a lot higher. And then the, there was a jump also in true shooting. Went from 52.5, so that's a little better, to 55.8. So while it's not as extreme as it's been so far, the disparity is there, and that's what I find absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it is. And I don't think it'll be quite as severe because much like last year when Joel Embiid was on this minutes limit and Kawhi, I don't think, has played 30 minutes even yet and has been missing games due to you know back-to-backs and just trying to ease him back into it. But, you know, Kawhi is probably shooting more than he normally would be at times uh, during uh, when he's actually in there. Um, And so maybe that's part of it. But it is a little bit of a concern. And I think part of it, too, is just that Kawhi with his ISOs, like those guys both kind of like to do some of the same things and operate on some of the same areas of the court. And so it is difficult for them, you know, to run a play for LaMarcus and then, you know, Kawhi can still work or, or vice versa. When Kawhi has the ball in his hands, he's not really able to use LaMarcus as a finisher that much and also part of it too is that Kawhi is not I don't want to say he's not the greatest passer but it's more just that like the way he operates he doesn't like really blow by guys and like force help and put the defense in rotation he just you know gets to his spot and just scores you know or gets fouled so it's he's not the kind of guy who you see is like oh he really like makes his teammates better in the same way that you know a great pick and roll player does you know or or even a a guy who can force a, a lot of double teams which Kawhi can do but usually he'll pull up before the double team gets there. I think that's a good point. And something I wanted to ask you kind of along those lines is, let's say for the sake of this hypothetical, that this split is real, that that's just the way it is, that when these guys are playing together, LaMarcus is going to touch the ball less, he's going to be a little bit less efficient. Now, we know 
that LaMarcus is still going to finish games and still going to start games for them. Outside of those times, if that were true, would you be leaning towards a stagger and just going with maybe just different players who who don't operate in the same space? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And I'd like to see, you know, have maybe Kawhi and Pau Gasol play together with Gasol's defensive limitations. He and Kawhi are a good fit. Um, And LaMarcus is a little bit more mobile of a guy than Gasol as well. Um, So yeah, I think it might be something to watch and they do stagger them to some degree. A couple other interesting Spurs stats here, but before we move on, Manu Ginobili somehow is only shooting 26% from three and that really is hurting his efficiency. In fact, considering how poorly he's shooting from three, the fact that he actually has 52% true shooting, which is not awful, uh, is impressive when he's shooting that poorly from three. He's taken, you know, about a third of his shots, actually more than a third of his shots uh, from downtown. So that's something I expect that he is going to start getting better with those three pointers. Uh, And then, Tony Parker has continued to play well. He's shooting 53% from the field, not taking any three-pointers at all. Again, that, that he seems to have, like, he was taking, like, a few and some corner threes. Now he's only taken seven all year. But for Parker just to, to have that level of efficiency, and he's doing it, by shooting incredibly well at the rim, 68% and uh, 63% from floater range, which will come down a little bit, but still is impressive. You know, I I wasn't expecting them to get that much from him. Yeah, and I've been a little bit disappointed with what we've seen from what I've seen from DeJounte Murray so far this year. So I think they've needed Tony more than I expected they would. And that that makes him a welcome welcome addition to this and that is something they're going to have to resolve at some point i mean parker's an expiring contract he could very well come back but he has been wonderful so far yeah and Dejounte, i mean everything is there except you know the efficient shooting you know i mean he's 47 percent true shooting but you know that i think he really does provide a an element even at this point uh, on defense still a little skinny but as long as he's not in a strength matchup he can be a real problem especially as a help defender as well actually one other thing i want to talk about with the spurs too is now that harden has gone down they're really only three games behind houston in the loss column two overall what do you think the chances are that we're talking about san antonio versus houston with san antonio having home court once again you have to expect at this point that san antonio will be better than they have been so far you know like i would say their 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 winning percentage will go up from this point to the end of the season but my instinct is that san antonio will overtake them maybe during this absence but then houston just seems like they're going to push so much harder for it and my instinct instinct is my instinct is that san antonio passes them at some point maybe even multiple points but that houston still ends up the two yeah i don't know maybe this hardened thing they'll have finally learned their lesson because to me houston played so well during the period that oh so brief period they're 12 and 0 either 12 or 13 and 0 when they've had all of their you know top eight together to me it seems like maybe that needs to be the focus is just making sure that all those guys can play instead of getting home court especially now that home court against 
the Warriors is done I think they probably have some confidence that they could beat the Spurs and home court didn't really seem to mean that much in that series last year so I think actually that I would give San Antonio maybe not a 50% chance but like a 40% chance of having home court going into that series and then you mentioned pushing hard well even if they do decide to push hard I mean as soon as one guy gets injured like they're significantly worse right I mean they just don't have anybody who's any good outside of their top eight guys really so and especially who can play on the perimeter at all and something else to mention is that they just have some tough games over this next let's let's say it's three weeks the three week span they play the Warriors twice they play Minnesota and and all three of those games are at home which is unfortunate because they're going to be really tough games and so you're not logging those wins at Detroit could be a challenge you know like they're at the Clippers and they're looking a lot better we'll talk about them later on and so like you know they could drop if they drop a couple extra games during this time just because they're without James Harden that could be a challenge I I would probably put it more like a one-third chance but that's not that big a difference the Wolves are 24 and 14 now eight and three in their last 11 their 2.3 net rating is ninth in the NBA they have the fifth ranked offense the 24th ranked defense and noteworthy is that since December 1st and I I use that date as a proxy that's when it kind of seemed to me that they've started playing a lot better since December 1st the Wolves are the third best net rating in the NBA uh 4.9 yeah they've looked they've looked very good during a lot of that time the defense has been a little bit better but the most important change to me has been Jimmy Butler acting like the best player on this team because he is and taking shots like he's the best player on this team which he is yeah 17.9 field goal attempts per game since December 1st was only taking 14.2 prior to that uh, prior to that Wiggins actually was leading the team in field goal attempts and you would think oh Wiggins's shots per game have gone down but they haven't really uh he's still taking 15.3 per game in 36 minutes and since December 1st he's shooting only 40 percent from the field and 55 percent from the foul line he's at 61 percent from the foul line this season so only 3.3 free throw attempts per game last year he was at 6.6 per game and those free throws really you know that was always kind of the one thing statistically that was good for him was he had the ability to get to the line and now that seems to have really waned so a lot of long twos from Wiggins very tough for to be efficient and then while I mean it's really funny you know this team is fifth in in offense and like they've been the third best team in the NBA statistically since December 1st and it really just seems like they're still just like not playing very well right like or not playing right not playing the way we'd want it and another way that comes into that is that Carl Towns just continues to not get very many shots he's only 13.5 field goal attempts per game uh and with Butler I totally support Butler taking more shots he's been awesome he's really carrying them uh but it just you know Wiggins has to continue to get minimized and they got to get Carl Towns more touches at the moment it's close to be fair but Carl Anthony Towns is right in line in usage with Hassan Whiteside lower than Nikola Jokic and way below Embiid way below DeMarcus Cousins and and this is a guy who is like you know high 20s in usage and still over 600 percent uh over 600 true shooting you know so and and last year he can handle more he can handle more and so I I got a a point that you I think you brought up in the notes is if you had a team of just Towns Butler and low usage guys that tried on defense that team would be really really good because you have those two guys carrying your offense and then you would have other players who can fit in who can take advantage of just getting a ton of open looks but that just isn't who they put around these guys and maybe that's part of the reason why Tyus Jones has looked good as a fit with the starting lineup yeah he has it and that starting lineup with Jones out there 26 point 
1.2 net rating in about 140 minutes we'll see how they do with Jeff Teague as we mentioned last week grade one MCL sprain for him so he's got at least two three more weeks probably on the shelf here um so we'll get to see how how Tyus looks you know still what it's going to look like of course when they go to the bench is it going to be Aaron Brooks is it going to be Butler at backup point guard you know but they certainly haven't missed a beat at all with Teague out they did not when he missed time with that Achilles soreness earlier in the year as well um now another thing that we were kind of critical of was the signing of Taj Gibson we felt hey you know what Carl Towns we want him to play center we wanted you to get some shooting around him but the impact of Gibson and the thought I think for Tom Thibodeau and why he wanted Gibson in there was we need someone better defensively who can kind of help Carl Towns and the numbers bear that out when Towns plays with Gibson they have a 113 offensive rating 107 defensive rating so they are basically plus six per 100 possessions that 107 defensive rating is you know a little bit below average and remember this is a team that's 24th overall in defense and then when Towns is out there without Gibson which you know usually the starting lineup has played so many minutes together that there isn't that big of a sample there but the defense gets a lot worse and that defense is getting a lot worse against bench units now also you've got Crawford out there as well they've been playing some of those minutes with Shabazz Muhammad so there's some other components to that as well because that's usually you know there was a period where they're playing Towns by himself at the start of the second and fourth quarters uh, with a bunch of bench guys and and those units obviously got killed defensively but I think it is telling that having Gibson out there i think has helped towns and that while gibson spacing is not ideal they have enough talent in with towns with butler that they're still able to be this fifth ranked offense even playing with the two traditional bigs as they have well it kind of harkens back a little bit to the idea of what okc did with russell westbrook more out of necessity last year which was get low usage guys that can just work really hard defensively and you'll your offense will still be good enough to survive and there i think that might be just true that towns and butler in particular and wiggins is out there in that starting lineup obviously that those guys are you're going to have a good offense with them on the floor and so maybe having defenders out there can really really help and I'm excited to see where this Wolves team goes from here because Thibodeau you know he's this is a, a different job for him to be have a, such a big hand in personnel considering he's coming from guard packs and everything like that is what lessons does he learn at the trade deadline and what lessons does he learn from this season about what worked and what didn't work yeah that's that's interesting and Tom Thibodeau I mean is he the, fr- the favorite right now for executive of the year i mean it's between him and who else is in it you know presti the 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 thunder have disappointed a little bit i, I bet so danny far. Ainge is gonna get it the war the award that's well, my bet but if it's if it's danny Ainge, i mean okay i get that like you've drafted these rookies they look good you made the Kyrie trade but like you know are they really gonna win that many more games than last year i mean tom thibodeau made moves that, that and i get they're more set up for later on maybe you could say now that they have tatum and and they were able to get that lakings pick as well but i mean tom they they won 31 last year uh, and they're on pace for you know high 40s i mean that's that's gonna probably almost certainly be the biggest improvement in the league and it's almost exclusively because of the personnel uh, acquisition that he was able to make it's a good point i'm i was not mentally prepared to go down the executive of the year well at this <laughs> point but yeah i mean there is a, a, no, a very i agree res- with you angel gets some consideration too but he I, will you know, tim should be in there i mean as much as much shit as we give him the, like, the butler he, trade he i mean is, in terms of in terms of just this like the the assets set and the assets turn and yes chris dunn has looked a lot better than we thought he would yeah. but jimmy but, but butler, his value was at a nadir at that time I mean, you right. have to look at it where it was at that time. yeah sure but jimmy butler has been a game changer
changer here. Like, if they hadn't brought him in and had done a lot of the other kind of things that they did, this team wouldn't be nearly as good as they are. Like, think about what, like, if, if yeah. they, for whatever reason, if that move hadn't been there, they would have gotten a better draft pick, certainly. But, I mean, would that guy, Lowry well, Markkinen uh, uh, or whoever it would have been, yeah. would they have made half, like, one quarter of the difference that Jimmy Butler has made? No, uh, and, and also remember that he made the move to clear out Ricky Rubio and get Jeff Teague. I mean, Teague has been, you know, pretty average this year, but Rubio, I think, has not been effective, as we'll talk, uh, certainly offensively. I mean, he, he provides some things, but there was uh, the fit issues there were not great. And so, uh, and the Gibson siding, which we kind of derided, has been good. Uh, so really, you can't complain too much uh, about that. Uh, let's move on here to, who is next? Is it OKC? Yeah. Oh, no, it's okay. Denver, huh? No, it's 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 OKC. OKC's next. There's OKC. a, a, group of teams, right. a group of teams that are really, really close, but technically speaking, and it's, it's interesting, there's only one tie in the West. There are a lot of teams that are close. OKC, 20 and 17, 8 and 4 since the last time we did this. They were on a real tear before they lost that game to, to Dallas. And they have a plus 3.3 net rating, which is good enough for fifth. 15th offense, third ranked defense, and uh, 538 gives them a 92% chance to make the playoffs. I mean, to me, they're going to be in. It's just a question of where they're of where they are going to end up. But I think that they're they're getting into a better place than what we talked about. Carmelo Anthony's quotes about being more comfortable as a smaller part in the offense. I think that has really helped. But the, the biggest thing that has helped is just Russell Westbrook getting back to closer to what he was last season after a disappointing start of the year. Yeah, I mean, his numbers really are, are right back there. 31 points per game, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, 37% usage. You know, that's right. It's not the crazy level that was last year, but, you know, that's like Kobe Bryant and his highest seasons type of level. And then, of course, uh, 56% true shooting. Much of that driven by the fact that he started to hit the mid-ranger. Uh, he's taken... 107 mid-rangers twos outside the paint in his last 10 games so he's taking 10 of those per game and hitting 54 percent of them uh getting to the basket as well and i mean that's pretty remarkable just the, the number of two-point shots that he's taking and then and the three ball hasn't dropped he hit some clutch threes obviously um they had that game against the Bucks a couple of days ago where Giannis had the game-winning dunk when he stepped out of bounds but russ hit a big three to tie that game late so clutch westbrook has started to come back and really they have not in terms of just their overall team performance in terms of the net rating has not really changed that much it's just they've gotten much luckier in close games after getting totally unlucky in them early and then getting really unlucky with the honest stepping out of bounds and losing the game that way uh but the defense has fallen off to some degree as the offense has come on yeah that's true uh one element of it that's been so impressive for me of kind of that the the defensive he can drop both ways is that they've been the league's best offensive rebounding team yes and that's that's still true but they're also the league's best team at preventing transition looks off a miss so they they're and they were really bad at that early right they were so they've improved a lot and made a more concerted effort and that requires not just oh the starters to get back that second unit thing that's that's really your entire team and so a lot of that is that they the way they offensive rebound you know they're not leaving as much they're not leaving as much out there they just have like as usually it's a single really good Steven Adams offensive rebounder and that is one of my one of my favorite stats with that is that they have a 32% offensive rebound rate with him on the floor 21% off and 21% off considering who's on the floor when he's not is actually pretty good but 32% with Steven Adams out there is is fantastic yeah and their bench defensive rebounding is not great I mean basically like Steven Adams being out there and when you consider that they don't really play another center outside of him Steven Adams being out there 
there transforms them from a great rebounding team uh, or from a bad rebounding team into a great rebounding team when he is out there paul george also has improved over his last 10 21 a game but upping the efficiency and lowering the usage to some degree i mean it really i think if you had to say hey what's the biggest change from early in the season it's been this is now russ's team and there's a clear pecking order with george second and and anthony third and anthony now has been shooting the three ball a little bit more hitting the three ball a little bit more as well uh so i I think they've they're starting to find something a little bit offensively still pretty rudimentary when it comes to some of their sets you know russell westbrook when he's out there you're just you're not going to be a team that moves the ball a ton but i think the fact that george and anthony who are both capable shooters you know those are guys who can be effective playing off of other players very well and russ is totally ineffective playing off of other players due to his uh the fact he never sets a screen and never cuts i think that this is the pecking order that makes the the most sense and russ is by far the best offensive player of those three guys at this point he is and and you're right about how those guys fit together and something else i wanted to mention this is that they've been forcing more turnovers than anybody else in the league and that is an important part of their of their defensive success at the moment and they've been you know they've been pretty good in transition so i think that really does help them so if that fades especially in a good series in the playoffs against a good team their offense will have to change a little bit because i think i still think they look better and much better in transition than in the half court i I would love to do the stats on their disparity for the next one if i remember to do it but those turnovers you know i mean they have guys like robertson that can generate them russ gambles too much but that can help generate some turnovers too yeah i think we really need to discuss just the, the overall season that steven adams is having 21 PR, 65% true shooting, 17% offensive rebounds. I mean, that is one of the higher numbers that you're going to see. And though he doesn't, he's not a great defensive rebounder. He is a good box out guy. And Russ, uh, of course, has by far the biggest defensive rebound percentage on the team at, at 26%. And Adams, decent usage as well. And I also really appreciate Adams, I think, has now gotten to be the best in the league in working with Westbrook in pick and roll because they really get you, you know, it's very simple, obviously a pick and roll between your your one and your five but they get you in ways that you don't really expect and so a couple of those that we can talk about one is that russ loves to just go right away and because he knows he can blow by his guy and so as adams jogs up to set the screen the big follows him and then just as ever those two guys are running away from the basket then russ will just attack and, and the big's momentum isn't enough to get back and help so that's one that really works well another one that they'll do is they'll have Adams just turn and screen his own guy. They did that against the Bucks once where they kind of I forget who was guarding Russ but he was setting a baseline I think it was Tony Snell and John Henson was kind of supposed to be waiting there and so Adams just screened him so he couldn't get baseline Tony Snell was forcing a baseline and Russ was able to to get to the basket miss the shot but they are very tricky and I think a lot of it is just those guys have played together for a long time now and Adams is an excellent and creative screener at finding ways to just prevent the help from disrupt, disrupting Russ and it's really a great fit for his skill set because he can get to the basket a lot he can blow by his initial man he's just not great finishing if there's help there but if you take that help away all of a sudden he is really just you can't stop him and what I appreciate about that is also the creativity that comes from having constraints that you know what to do with you know the fact that these guys have been together for years Russ has his strengths and weaknesses as a player so does Steven Adams and so also that that if teams try to jump some of those certain things Russ is is a very willing passer Adams and knows the areas where he can catch it and 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 
I, I enjoy those two guys. I mean, I still think Wal Gortat is the best pick and roll combination in the league, but Westbrook and Adams surprise me probably more than any combination I can think of off the top of my head. Last thing on them, uh, Andre Robertson, while a really rough offensive player, as we've chronicled ad nauseum, still he improves the defense immeasurably. They get by, better by 12 points per 100 possessions with him on the floor, in part because anyone coming in from him is usually, you know, it's going to be Terrence Ferguson or it's going to be Alex Sabrina, some really bad defensive players. And then you know, they're also playing in bench lineups with the Carmelo a lot of the time as well. Steven Adams will be out. You know, they don't they don't have the rebounding or the size as well. So it's not all him, but worth noting that the defense, 12 points per 100 possessions better when he is on the floor. Who's next here? The only tie that we have on the entire board right now in the West is the Nuggets and the Blazers after the Blazers beat the Bulls tonight. But Denver has the better net rating, so I went with them. They're 19 and 17, 5 and 5 since the last 15 and 60, plus 1.6 net rating is 11th in the league, 7th in offense, 17th in defense, 92% chance of making the playoffs. And really, to me, what they've been doing for a couple of different reasons that we'll get into is it was, well, can they tread water? Can they still look like they're going to get a decent seed when Paul Millsap is out? Hopefully, he gets back, you know, before the end of the regular season and is back to as good as he can be. And I would say, for the most part, they've been doing that. Yeah, they have. I mean, they, they've had every once in a while they'll have some weird inexplicable losses but both because their schedule i think it has been difficult and because they actually have outperformed their record based on their plus 2.6 net rating but per 538 it's little bit lower when you don't consider garbage time because they actually have like a pretty good bench unit that does well in garbage time but they're projected to finish with 47 wins and a tie with the thunder right now much ahead of teams like the pelicans and the blazers with whom you mentioned they are tied at the moment uh so they've been able to tread water i mean this is a team that you know looked like a big favorite to make the playoffs at times last year and just you know was not really able to follow through on what that statistical resume in theory predicted for for them i'm very interested to see what happens with them over the next two or three weeks you know really going into the all-star break even before paul Millsap returns and then his reintegration obviously will be an interesting storyline as well part of why they've been able to hold up without nikola Jokic for part of this time recently and then uh without Millsap is the improvement from jamal murray you remember that he was awful the first month or so of the year shooting the, the three ball was like under 30 percent uh well in his last 15 games he's 38 out of 80 from three it's like 47 percent and in his first 20 games 26 percent and he is at 47 percent basically in the 15 games since then also has started to hit the long two in general this season 40 percent that's a lot better than it was last year his floater has been going down to the turn tune of 45 percent and at the rim, he was shooting an incredible percentage early. That has dropped slightly, but still solid for a guard at 63%. So he's starting, he's really right on track with what those of us who are high on him were hoping for. Um, and defensively, he looked maybe better earlier in the year. And so I, when Mike Malone and the Nuggets were in town about a week ago, I asked him what he thought of Murray's evolution defensively. And here's what he had to say on that. Coach, where is uh, Jamal Murray right now in his uh, evolution defensively? I know last year as a 19-year-old rookie, not a lot of those guys can be effective on that end. Uh, how's he coming along on that end? You know, I, I thought early early in the year, I thought he had made uh, real improvements on that end. And I think recently, uh, maybe because of the minutes he's being asked to play, uh, he's taking a step backwards. 
and uh, he has to just do a better job. Uh, I think the, the greatest thing as a starting point guard in the NBA defensively is can you guard one-on-one and contain because you're the initial point of our defense and in pick and rolls can you get into the ball and have a physical impact and sending the ball to the screen and uh, you know Jamal is more than capable of doing that he's shown shown that already this year but I think as of late he just has to take more responsibility and ownership on that end of the floor and uh, you know it's, it's a constant struggle and evolution for him as a young guard in the NBA. Malone, although we disagree with him sometimes, he'll give you some pretty decent specific answers if you ask him something that's kind of like a non-controversial subject like that. Um, but he'll, you know, he actually, that was good. Like to say, hey, he's got to get into the ball a little bit more than he has. Um, they also have been playing better recently, I think, just because Emmanuel Moutier has been injured. Basically, Moutier has been uh, one of the worst players so far in the NBA from an on-off statistical standpoint. Cabby, you could see it in, in a lot of different ways in terms of I mean it's always hard to calibrate because especially due to injuries the Nuggets rotation has shifted a couple points during the year but one one that we thought of was using uh, Mason Plumley, who has been starting you know for for points with when Millsap's been out but when Moody and, and Plumley have played together they've been outscored by about 10 points per 100 possessions and when Plumley's played without Moody the plus nine so like that that's pretty striking he has a, a negative 11 net rating overall on a team that has been solid on this year like I mean so they're they're 11th in net rating at a above above sea level and they're negative 11 when he's out there which is not great and I mean you can some people have pointed to the idea that oh man they're really hurt by not having Jameer Nelson there especially because Richard Jefferson hasn't been a big part of it and they've been able to their credit though to use Will Barton I think just giving him more of the playmaking load has helped too yeah and Gary Harris is a a fine dribbler they've got Jokic they've got Plumlee who can do some of the handling as well if you want to drill down into it even more if i looked at it as a proxy of basically how the bench plays with and without moody i looked at how do trey lyles and miles plumley like what are their net ratings with moody on and off the court well those two guys together 7.8 net rating with moody off the court negative 9.2 when moody is on it and that's only you know we're drilling down into smaller samples now with you know about 120 minutes a piece there but still i i think pretty telling especially to see what happens to the defense when he's out there and Moody has shot it better than expected from three this year he's looked a little bit better but still uh the evidence is just that he's not effective at this point in his career and that is continuing a trend from previous seasons and then another thing that it was very effective as a lineup against the Warriors when Steph Curry was out the Nikola Jokic and Mason Plumlee vaunted tandem that has actually been starting together of late for the team it's still somewhat of a surprise to me just because the offensive ceiling of a Jokic and a, a somebody who's not Mason Plumley is is higher but they've been able to defend reasonably well 103 7 defensive rating is that's good you know they should be happy with that and so they've been a positive they've been a, a plus 1.2 net rating since they've been out there and those guys can operate in different spaces they can also because both guys are capable passers they can still handle cutters and things like that and then just having somebody else who can protect the rim with Jokic is good there are, there are certain matchups that could exploit their limitations but by and large they've been better together than I anticipated yeah the defense gets a lot better when those two guys are out there the offense gets a lot worse 
they have a higher percentage of assisted baskets as well which you would expect with both those guys out there passing Jokic likes to take a lot more threes which again makes sense you need someone else to, to space it out when you've got the two bigs together um in general with Plumlee out there it's worth noting though that these numbers are skewed by the fact that the Nuggets as a team are just happen to be shooting 41% on threes whenever he's on the floor so I don't think he's doing anything that's making them shoot some great percentage on threes so you know I, I still am lower on Plumlee than a lot of guys he's had some decent defensive performances of late they're 17th in defense basically since Millsap went out and that's not bad and I think Plumlee deserves some credit for that and also worth noting too I mean this is some research that has been done going way back that just and Ben Falk hit on it recently that you know even if you have two bigs like Jokic and Plumlee neither of whom are great defensively just having two guys out there who just get rebounds and are that big and take up space I mean it's still a seven footer out there even if it's you know a guy who relative to other seven footers is not that great defensively a seven footer is still better than a six five guy defensively in most cases yeah that, that's definitely fair let's move on to the team that's tied with them the portland trailblazers they are 19 and 17 and six and five since the last 15 and 60 including their win tonight in chicago they are plus 0.8 in net rating which puts them 12th 26th in offense which is still jarring fourth in defense and 538 actually gives them a 45 percent chance of making the playoffs just because there are a couple of teams jumbled around here and so they think portland is still in danger which they certainly are let's talk about how they've done with dame lillard out with the hamstring and we talked about this on thursday but to reiterate he was supposed to in theory he wasn't even on the injury report on wednesday it seemed like he was going to come back on thursday and then suddenly showed up again in the injury report on thursday and has not played their last three games now this was a huge win for them they had gotten blown out in atlanta over the weekend and then to beat a hot bulls team uh when they didn't play nikola miritich down the stretch who's been the their best player because you know you got to get that big center out there to match up with yusuf nurkic who's just so dominating in the post uh, anyway uh they are three and two without Lillard and that's despite being well underwater in terms of their net rating they've gotten blown out twice by Atlanta and Denver at, yeah Atlanta and Denver and then they eked out these three wins in overtime against the Bulls and then uh the Lakers and Philly uh again all the all wins except for the Lakers ones that were just kind of all right you know they made it um nevertheless I think it, overall you know Dame better come back pretty quickly I mean I think that coming into tonight they had a negative 7.5 net rating without him so it's not going to last uh especially just because they're so bad uh, offensively without dame um and i think the clippers resurgence is a big problem for them um in terms because now it's really like four teams going for two spots instead of three teams if the clippers are going to be back into this and in a lot of ways the blazers are looking like the weakest of those teams of late something else that should be a real concern for them is that their schedule is about to get really hard so they play the Cavs on the tail end of a back-to-back what will be tomorrow for yeah. us but the day most people listen yeah. to the show the Isaiah Thomas return game the Isaiah Thomas return game I, I think I heard I thought I saw Rachel Nichols tweet they'll be like eight to twelve minutes and then yeah, and then he will not play by the way against the Celtics which I think right. is a smart move I think it's a smart move too so then after that they have a game against Atlanta they hopefully they they don't lose that again they don't lose them again and then San Antonio OKC Houston New Orleans Minnesota 
four of those five on the road. So even if they have Dame back, those games are all going to be really tough. And then later in the month, they still have capable games. Minnesota again, the Clippers, the Clippers, and that could end up being a big game. Indiana. So like this, there are not many gimmies on their schedule. And that means they're going to have to kind of put up or shut up here. Because as you said, if it's four teams going for two spots, your margin for error is much tighter than it would be if it was three for two. Give you some, uh, just a, a hodgepodge of stats uh, on them that, that Liam was kind of, I, I think are pretty interesting. Worst team in the league at finishing at the rim. They are a mere 55% there. And a number of factors that go into that. Number one, you just got the guys who are driving in the basket are small guys who are never going to be amazing finishers. Dame took some strides forward last year, but it, I think it's also just a function of, hey, they don't have any three-point shooters outside of, you know, Connaughton will play a little bit and Aminu's hitting some, but they still don't guard him out there. So they don't have any three-point shooters outside of the guys who are doing the driving to the basket. And so you put in, you know, six two guys trying to finish at the rim, six-foot guy in the case of Lillard, and then no space. And then not only is there no space, but they generally play two traditional bigs. And so that means the other team can get away with two traditional bigs. So they, they're going into not only a lack of space, but a lack of space that's occupied by rim protectors. And that's where that statistic comes from. At the same point, they're kind of hitting the trade-off in terms of playing big on the other end because they have the lowest opponent field goal percentage at the rim, 57%. So the opponents aren't shooting as poorly at the rim as they are, but still poorly relative to everybody else. And the, then the trade-off back the other way on that is that they're not running enough. They're they're 29th in transition frequency, and a lot of that is personnel-based. They just don't have a ton of guys that are that are great at that. I mean, you, they yeah. have players that can make kind of like the first pass, but they don't have a lot of just Corey Brewer types even who just streak down the court. Like, that's just not what they have, what they play yeah. very much. And there's one guy who's going to push the ball with the ball in his hands, and that's Damon. He's probably so exhausted that he can't really do that that much. CJ is not that fast with the ball in his hands. Napier is not going to, like, put pressure on the defense by getting to the rim in transition. Evan Turner can dribble, but he's very slow as he dribbles. And then, you know, you got a bunch of bigs. So all of that is a concern. And then, you know, we, we talked about how is their defense as good as it is, and it still remains fourth in the NBA. And that's just in large part due to their scheme. And they take away the three, they take away the rim, and the math is in their favor to some degree, even if they don't have amazing talent. I mean, it's kind of, kind of what they are. It seems like almost they're like the defensive version of those Rockets teams before they got Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson, where they still are taking the right shots. They may not have the greatest talent, but just because the scheme is right and they're making the opponent take the right shots, that they're doing pretty well defensively just because of math, maybe more so than talent. Um, one other thing you had on them? Well, let's talk a little bit about Shabazz Napier and Evan Turner, two guys that have taken on larger roles. I mean, much bigger Napier's case this year. He Napier has looked better than I anticipated. I mean, obviously the last couple of weeks, the last little while, he's been doing a lot more. 61% true shooting on 20% usage. And that's, you know, the 20% usage, you could say, oh, that's low for low for a point guard when you consider 20% is even for all the positions. But when you're playing next to CJ, which he has done a fair, a fair portion of the time, at least in that case, you know, he can be efficient at it and you're not asking him to, chore- to choreograph everything, to do everything out there. And I, I think he's, you know, Iowa had been very critical of him early in his career, but I want to give him credit for being a part of, of them, you know, surviving this stretch. Yeah, and he provides something that they just don't have elsewhere. And that's why Stotts even got to the point where he was playing CJ, Napier, and Lillard all together just because he provides some modicum of offense. Let's get to New Orleans now. 18 and 18, 4 and 5, two real 
ugly losses uh, one at home to Dallas although Dallas then beat OKC on the road as well so Dallas is playing a lot better recently who else did they lose to recently that was just like a really bad loss oh the Knicks at home yeah that that was not a good loss either and that's disappointing because you know they win those two games and they're four games over 500 and really in pole position among that group but you know new orleans never a team that seems like they can have nice things they still do have a 1.7 net rating 10th in the nba which is solid 110 on offense that's sixth in the league but the defense is fallen to 20th and it is falling very quickly it's falling for a couple of reasons one part of that we'll get into in more substance later, which is Rajon Rondo, but the other part that I wanted to spend a little bit of time on in the beginning is their transition defense. So they are actually, the transition frequency for opponents is not super high. They're middle of the road there, but opponents for whatever reason are just killing them in terms of effectiveness. So they're, they're giving up 3.9 points plus per possession, which is what cleaning the glass uses per 100 possessions, which is the third highest in the league behind, or I guess you would say ahead of only Houston and the Knicks and then that's actually slightly better than Cleveland which we we lampoon frequently for how terrible their transition defense is and to be clear what that is if you say here's the amount of points that an average team would give up in transition per game they are four points worse right than that so I mean and so if you want to look at you know that's basically you know the difference between being like their 20th ranked defense and being like in the top 10 is that four points so you're really really like that's been a major problem don't know how much of that is luck in terms of that effectiveness and how much of it is you know that they're just so bad that they can't even stop here i mean i i would really be interested to see what the shot mix is that they're giving up in transition if it's opponents just hitting a really high three-point percentage i'm not as worried if it's hey they're so effective because it's layups every time uh then you're more worried yeah i don't know if anybody has that or at least publicly available and that also kind of fits in because their half court defense hasn't been bad they're 18th which you know 18th is doesn't sound great but they could be better there and just getting the frequencies right and but they're 20th in opponent half court frequency so they're not getting there as much as they should and if they you know if they could get fewer possessions in the transition you would eke that out a little bit and then so you could say one of the instincts is oh well you know they start these two big guys they were getting a ton of offensive rebounds no they're not they're 27th in offensive rebounding overall and they're only getting 23.3 percent of the available ones when davis and demarcus are out there together which is 20th percentile among lineup so they could be it's not like they're making that choice you know like some teams do where it's you know you're going for the offensive glass and sacrificing it if they are making the choice they're not doing a good job of it yeah that's right and that really has been a hallmark not offensive rebounding of elvin gentry teams anthony davis used to be really effective on the offensive glass he's increased a little bit but cousins is the guy who basically never hits the offensive glass anymore he used to be a dominant offensive rebounder early in his career and in terms of transition teams are hitting a a lot of threes on them they're giving up 57% 57% field goal percentage, but 65% adjusted field goal percentage. So they are giving up a lot of threes. Can't, I don't have the data available to dig into that in greater detail. Um, let's talk about what we see when Rondo has been playing. When he is on the floor, the offense gets better. Uh, it's plus 3.9 points per 100 better, uh, although he does almost always play. I shouldn't say almost always, but he probably plays more minutes together with Cousins and Davis than any 
anyone else that they have uh and then the defense really goes into the crapper negative 7.7 or i should say 7.7 points for 100 worse and teams run way more when rondo is out there uh and that's surprising despite the superior offense uh some of that is that that really high transition points per session with him on the court uh and then when you put him and cousins together in terms of transition defense that's when things really really start to fall apart for this pelicans team defensively and it's disappointing because they have more defensive talent and we've made the point before that you know hey if they wanted to just bring play a wing play more at the two where he could be a defensive asset instead of a liability at the three that that might be better and i think you know gentry at least seems to acknowledge that you know there are some good and bad rondo games you know he had the 25 assists about a week ago uh but also you know they were closing that nick game uh, i believe with uh, i don't remember it was the nick game or the dallas game with jameer nelson out there so there are times i think when gentry is realizing that hey you know what rondo like doesn't have it today yeah i think that was the mavericks game but i i, I know I, was, I watched both of the endings of both those games and and also so one of the good disparities to get into this idea of the the pelicans defense with without rondo i tried to get as close as i could to apples to apples and so the three guy you can using the impact tool on the nba stats site you can actually do this so i i pulled up the pelican stats when davis cousins and holiday are on the floor and then separated that out with with and without rondo so you know then you're you're pretty close in terms of those different lineups they've played almost 300 or more than 300 in both those alignments the offense is a little bit better when rondo's out there that jumps about two points per 100 possessions to 109.4 which is quite good but the defense it goes from a 97.3 which is phenomenal like you think about that as a starting five defense like if you have that so they're a plus 9.9 net rating that jumps that jumps 12 points almost 13 points to 1099 so even though the offense gets better they're actually have a negative net rating with rondo holiday cousins and davis out there together worth noting for cousins he is on pace for by far the most efficient season of his career in part because of, of course the offense is rising everywhere but 59 percent true shooting this season is a career high by almost three points uh and he's also right up there in terms of assists he's had the ball in his hands a, a lot usage has gone down slightly but still 33 percent much higher than davis and cousins probably better at creating his own shot so offensively i mean demarcus cousins is having an absolutely wonderful season and when you to be sixth in offense considering that this is not some great setup outside of davis and cousins and that their bench units can be pretty rough that's really good and they also have gotten the three-point shooting from Moore and miller and hopefully miller will continue to to play more um (laughs) well there's one other thing yeah, that is. <laughs> one other thing I wanted to mention is that an argument that has been made for Rondo, particularly playing with Drew Holiday, is that Drew has been a much more aggressive scorer. And the answer is that's true. Drew Holiday is taking more shots. He is making more shots, especially from three. If you do it per 36, he takes two and a half more threes a game and is making them at a higher rate. I would say some of that difference is just small sample, but some of it is also that he's shooting more catch and shoot, which he's better at than pull-ups, which is true of almost everybody. But he is a more efficient player as a scorer but he's not using like he's still using the same proportion of possessions because his assist rate just drops down so he is better as a scorer but in terms of overall offensive impact it's a little bit different and so i think you can make the argument that it has really helped drew offensively but offense isn't where their problems are their offense has been good the whole year it's that they need to be a little bit better defensively so they can actually put up a lead on people 
On now to the 16 and 19 LA Clippers, seven and four since we last checked in on them. Uh, only a negative 0.6 net rating. That's 16th in the league. And playoff odds all the way back up to 46%. They have the 11th ranked offense, 18th ranked defense. They actually amazingly have a better record than the Jazz right now, uh, although the Jazz have had their own injury issues. One game out of eighth in the loss column. And how have they been able to tread water? and even to some degree turn it around to go over 500 since you know we declared their season over one big thing that happened was they got Blake Griffin back sooner than we thought they would and he looked he looked good in the game against the Lakers he's you know again it's not that he's all the way back some of the little Kawhi Leonard stuff in this but he's looking he's contributing he so in that game against the Lakers on Friday he had 24 6 and 6 in 32 minutes they just looked more dynamic when he was out there on the floor and then the other element that changed it is we didn't really have a specific specific timeline on Milos Teodosic and Teodosic is now in there and that has done two different things one is you know he is just another steady hand that they can have but also the fact that they can play either him or Lou Williams out there makes it so much easier to have an effective offense yeah and give you some stats uh, on Teodosic has not been efficient mostly due to poor shooting from three only 30 percent he's only played 11 games here so but just to give you an idea of where he's been 41 percent from two I think that's something that's just going to continue I don't see him you know, getting much better than that. He never, ever gets to the rim. He's only taken 6% of his shots at the rim, and he only shoots 40% there. And I'm guessing that he's either 2 out of 5 or 4 out of 10 <laughs> at the rim this season. Shoots it well on long twos, 42%. But, I mean, we never we know he doesn't have the ability to get to the basket. He's not looking to do that. He's not looking to shoot, really, even inside of 15 feet at all. He's not even a guy who has, like, a, a great floater game. He's taking 64% of his shots from downtown. So he's got to shoot better on those, and I, I think he will will um hilariously despite his terrible defensive reputation this is just a random stat that doesn't mean anything but opponents are 16.8 points per 100 possessions worse on offense when he's out there but those teams are just missing a a ton of jump shot uh perhaps more telling is that the offense is 4.8 points per 100 better Uh, the clippers offense is with them out there and he's just he's provided a steadying hand they just didn't really have anyone who's a point guard you know they're still starting juan evans but he's been getting the keith bogans uh, when they bring in the Lou Williams and just to have someone who could be a hand on the tiller and get them into what they needed to do and throw some passes he has a couple of highlight passes every night the guy is is a pretty solid offensive player despite the fact that you know he's really powerless to do anything offensively inside of 15 feet um we should probably also talk about just what Lou Williams been doing right it is remarkable that he has had kind of some similar elements to last season when he played in the same building for the other team but fortunately I I said the thing I can't remember when that was about you know that he was doing the same role on a non-playoff team that part of it might not be true anymore thankfully because the Clippers yeah, and, and in part due to his efforts absolutely well. so yeah I mean he is 29% usage and 600 true shooting which is fantastic I mean for for a guy who is not the you know he's not at the level of a lot of the guys that you think of there but as an offensive player he's spectacular and they've been good when he's been out there I think that he's much better served in a couple different ways not starting necessarily though of course we have to see what what goes on with this Austin Rivers injury and how Doc handles that but also you know 21.7 PER and they have an, a, a slightly negative negative 3.5 net rating when Lou Williams is out there but without Blake Griffin and Milos Teodosic and so you go oh they're below water but think about the talent that's probably out there in a lot of that. I mean they've been playing their two-way guys a lot they've been doing some stuff with Juwan Evans and Lou Williams is is doing a lot of carrying those 
lineups, him and depending DeAndre's out there for a fair portion of that. So I think that's actually an accomplishment for him. Yeah, I think so to just to, to not get killed. And you mentioned their two-way guys. Uh, those guys have been a lot better than some of their roster players to the point where we had to discuss now that their 45 days is about to end and there aren't two obvious candidates to get let go. But these guys deserve to be in the roster. CJ Williams, solid defensively. He's got a strong frame, not you know a great athlete, but can shoot the three ball. He's at 32% from three. He's played 402 minutes now. Uh, a circuitous path for Williams to the, the NBA. He was in the G League last year with the Texas Legends. Spent a year, a couple of years ago, he's 27, a couple of years ago with the South Bay Lakers. But he's a 41% career three-point shooter in the G League. He also played at various times in Cyprus uh, and in France. But I like the, the physicality that he brings. It can make a shot. And when he does get the ball around the rim, he's able to finish. And then Jamil Wilson, who's a stretch four out of Marquette, a guy I didn't, I wasn't familiar with either of these guys before the season, really. Uh, he's been even better. 63% true shooting. He Basically, all he does is shoot threes. But considering that he can hold up at least with some modicum of adequacy as a big defensively, uh, to shoot 43% on three and, and take 80% of his shots out there is impressive. And these are the guys now, and the Clippers have taken a different approach than some teams where they've said, hey, you know, we're, we got some older vets that we wanted to take a look at who maybe could help us this year. But these are the kind of guys that when you actually have a real front office, you're able to get, you know, as opposed to in the Doc Rivers era, Lawrence Frank has not a guy you looked at as having great personnel power, but uh, apparently learned something when he was writing those reports uh, for Jason Kidd in the Brooklyn front office after getting fired as the lead assistant, because now he has put together a very respected staff uh, with Michael Winger and Mark Hughes and have started to actually find the type of guys that maybe when the Clippers were actually good could have made a difference for them um the question now though Danny I mean Bryce Johnson you have to imagine will get released he's not playing at all and they didn't pick up his rookie option but would you release somebody else I mean you think it would be it's either Thornwell or Jamil Wilson I mean they paid all this money to to buy I don't remember is both these picks or just one um I think I know they bought the Jawan Evans pick I'm not sure they bought the uh yeah maybe they had the Thornwell pick already for some reason but um and then there's also these issues with the tech so like how would you proceed if you were them i mean let's say that they can trade johnson away or whatever they don't worry about the the tax issues they can find some other way to get under later on but would you move on from evans or thornwell to keep you know i mean if we say that williams is because he's a wing is probably a little more valuable now with griffin back but if you want to keep both of these guys would you move on from either evans or, or thornwell i wouldn't move on from evans or thornwell at this point i think you 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 still trust in the evaluation with those guys they're on really team-friendly contracts for multiple seasons so i would yeah probably... I, I mean neither of those guys have shown me much i gotta say i, I mean, will but, i will you know, agree with second that. rounders you wouldn't expect it but yeah I, I would give them a little bit more time especially it's not like they were drafted by a previous well, so, so you, who are you you're gonna dump just dump wilson then for right now if i can i would <laughs> if you could if you could pull it off just be like hey play for no i'm still i'm still refusing to say their julie team name yeah um so play play for oh, them oh, the, the uh the agua caliente clippers i think it's even more complicated than that it's like the angels name now and i think that you can say that because the the trade deadline 
deadline's a month away. And of course, if somebody else signs him, then you then you have so, to deal so with So you're them. saying you're just going to put Jamil Wilson, which is their right, he's on a two-way contract. You say, all right, you know what, we're just going to put him back in the G League instead of signing him. Yeah, maybe that's the way that they'll go. And they've already started kind of fudging with that now to you know have them not practice with the team as, as we talked about on Thursday. So yeah, this is going to be really interesting to see how this turns well, out. And, sure. and then the other part of that, so you have two different components that are relevant for the Clippers. And one is the the tax because they're, I think it's 120000 right. under the lecture tax. And so, yeah, they could go over that, but they're also subject to the hard cap. And I don't know because one of the big factors in terms of the line between the, the hard cap, because it's at the apron rather than at the tax line, is how many unlikely uh, bonuses you have. I don't know their unlikely bonus structure here, but I'm guessing, especially considering the best case scenario for these guys is probably, you know, like somewhere around the six seed that they wouldn't want to go into the tax by like a little bit for this team to just not start the clock and all that other kind of stuff so i would be i would err on the side of being more judicious pray that somebody will take on that little bit of extra money for bryce johnson they're probably gonna have to give up a pick there or maybe that's actually that might be the option here is maybe it, to get rid of bryce johnson they have to give up one of evans or thornwell and then that opens up the spot i mean i i don't know if anyone would would want thornwell or evan frankly i think i might rather have the roster spot i mean and, and you know it's obviously very early for these guys but you know neither of them has shown me much to be like oh man like i'm just so usually if like a second round pick they'll show some flashes i've not seen those flashes in particular from thornwell um evans yeah i've liked evans better least. yeah um like thornwell's best attribute is... that i've seen so far is his aggressiveness but aggressiveness without the high enough skill level to really score against nba guys is yeah. useful but not or as the useful. athleticism he's just right. he, he's not really enough of a vertical athlete and doesn't seem like a, a great shooter either now those guys can always kind of figure it out but he hasn't impressed defensively either um okay let's move on here though who's next the utah jazz are 16 and 21 three and seven since the last time we did this and i think this will be the most positive 15 and 60 entry i can remember for a team that is five and ten in their last 15 games because there's some context there that's important negative uh 0.7 net rating is 18th in the league 20th in offense 10th in defense but still 538 gives them a 54 percent chance of making the playoffs and there are a couple big reasons why i think nuggets or sorry jazz fans it gets into something i'm going to say should be positive about it and the big part of that is because they had a really really hard december schedule made even more difficult by rudy gobert missing so much time when he's still going to be out the last i heard was another two weeks before his next reevaluation. so yeah i mean they played 17 of their last 18 games were against teams over 500 and they were able to get some high profile wins recently including that game that they won against the Cavs behind some big final late buckets from donovan mitchell yeah and we're going to do our award show hopefully later this week and mitchell who we slighted way too much even in our first awards or was that our second no it was our first yeah it was our first award uh by putting not even putting him i think either third or fourth i can't remember what it was he's gonna get serious consideration for like straight up rookie of the year at this point and that's on the basis of what has been an unbelievable december 23 points a game four assists per game two steals 61 percent true shooting which is ridiculous and 29 percent usage i mean that kind of efficiency and usage for a rookie is absolutely unheard of in particular taking 38 percent of his shots right at the rim and hitting 74 percent of them and early in in this season his finishing was a major problem and we wondered whether he could be effective there because you know he's not a natural one foot leaper but he's found ways to, to get some extension when he can go up off of two feet he could be you know puts on some absolutely nuclear finishes like just some of the best dunks that you're ever gonna see in nba history even for a guy his size um you know i mean we're talking about like if he's about the same size as russell westbrook i mean we're talking about like every bit the type of dunks that westbrook had you know at least from a standstill now he, mitchell doesn't have the 
ability to take off off of two feet uh from as far away as Westbrook can especially I mean just even now at 29 the dunk that he had on Thon Maker uh was absolutely preposterous but still just I mean he he just like throws these dunks down where it looks like he's like about to jump through the basket it's unbelievable and then the shooting one quick thing on that Donovan Mitchell has 13 dunks this year according to basketball reference I think I remember almost all of them like that's how good they are his shooting 43% on catch and shoots which is outstanding off the dribble he has not been as good we talked about that last time but he's thrown some very nice passes that we've been pretty impressed by and then I think what's been most interesting both for the Jazz and for him we said that we liked him better at point guard and uh in 420 minutes the Jazz have an offensive rating of 112.7 which is you know we're talking not best in the league but right up there uh with him at the point uh when he's at shooting guard which often means that he's playing with Ricky Rubio uh, much worse 102.9 how much of that is him not being as effective at shooting guard and how much of that is Rubio remains to be seen but I mean if you're saying all right we're going to put the ball in the hands of this guy who's got 29% usage and 60% true shooting or we're going to put the ball in the hands of Ricky Rubio I think you know you're obviously going to see a big downgrade and then unlike a lot of rookies not turning it over too much now a lot of times that can be counterintuitive because if guys do turn it over a lot you can say hey they have as rookies they have the vision to try and make plays and they can make some improvements but nonetheless especially for as mature as he is I mean this has just been an incredible performance by him so far this season and something that I thought was really telling was that Rubio had his best recent game against the Cavs he had 16 points eight eight assists 10 rebounds in and, and they still didn't close with him exactly they still went to Donovan Mitchell they put the ball in his hands a lot and it was the right decision Mitchell Mitchell made some plays also they, they had played good defense though of course Ricky Rubio generally helps that and credit to Quinn Snyder for not sticking with the hot hand for playing his best five at the end of that game and it was close it was it was touch and go for portions of that the Cavs missed some open shots that they absolutely could have nailed I think Corver missed one Love missed two but they still pulled out the win and I cracked up because I didn't realize that LeBron to LeBron's teams have lost like their last seven games at that arena but the Jazz announcers relished that more than any like small statistical fact that I can remember recently yeah one of those games was uh, Gordon Hayward hit the game winner going to his right uh, from the right wing there, there have been some pretty classic games in that stretch so before we move on here I want to talk to you about Blue Apron for the next eight weeks they are teaming with Whole30 to bring you delicious recipes their menu will feature two Whole30 approved recipes each week like Mexican spiced baramundi with avocado togarashi chicken lettuce cups with avocado and kale and sweet potato salad kickstart your new year with Blue Apron and Whole30 and Blue Apron is a food delivery service that I have used extensively much easier and less expensive than going to a high-end grocery store in my experience there's no food waste because everything is pre-portioned and you get to try a lot of flavors and make a lot of different things that you wouldn't ever have a chance to do my fiance and I we actually get the four-person meal and then we have some leftovers do that twice a week and you if you want can pick between up to 12 new recipes each week you can do two three or four recipes based on on what your schedule is so if you want to get started with blue apron they're treating dunked on basketball listeners to their first three meals a 30 dollars value with their first order at blueapron.com slash cap space that url easy to remember we talk about cap space all the time in the program check out this week's menu and get 30 dollars off with free shipping at blueapron.com slash cap space blue apron a better way to cook where are we going next here this may be a surprise considering how many teams are left but we're going to the phoenix suns phoenix suns are 14 and 24 5 and 5 since the last time we did this but their neg- their negative 6.7 net rating 
is 29th in the NBA. They're 27th in defense, 28th in, sorry, 27th in offense, 28th in defense, and they're not going to make the playoffs. So that's really where the drop-off is. It's these last five teams, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And I believe they're 14 and 21 now after their loss on New Year's Eve uh, under Jay Triano. So that's that's good because they, you know, I mean, and comparatively, like we talked about their negative 6.7 net rating, but they're negative four since they fired Earl Watson because a lot of that was just the getting demolished in those games at the beginning of the season. So I think it's fair to say that they're, you know, that they're that they're maybe more competitive than we think about just because that stuff really does weigh in, but they're still not great. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. And they actually have outperformed that point differential to get up to the 14 and 24. Recently, their starting lineup uh, since uh, Devin Booker returned, Tyler Ulis, Booker, TJ Warren, uh, Marquise Chris, uh, and Tyson Chandler, they didn't really seem to play that much worse without Devin Booker. Uh, when he doesn't play, they are have a negative 5.9 net rating. When he does play, negative 6.0 net rating. Uh, and unlike a lot of times, because he has missed this extended time, it's a little bit better. I guess it wasn't that extended. It was maybe like five, six games. But enough. Uh, when he's off the floor, the offense gets about two points for 100 worse. The D gets about two points for 100 better. And they went three and six with him out of the lineup there, 11 and 17 with him. And how much heart do you take just from the fact that they've been like a little bit better than expected? Is this like, okay, you know, this rebuilding process is kind of on track now or and especially considering that you know they traded away blood so early on if you had known that at the start of the year and that there's still been this good are you like hey you know what like uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel here are you feeling that way are you feeling like yeah this is just kind of a blip more to the latter than the former and for me when you think about a rebuilding process I focus more on the individual players because you're thinking okay who can be a part of the next time this team is actually like good not just better than the worst teams but actually good and I haven't seen a ton out of Chris or Bender, who I think are probably their their two highest pedigree guys. There, we we've previously yeah. killed Josh the, Jackson. Those I'm gonna... guys are the variables, right? And I get well, yeah. I guess Josh Jackson, and then you could also say this draft pick, which they are uh, worsening. Although, and, and there's not really that much left that they can do now to try and tank either this year. So uh, they can they play Marquise Chris Booker. more. Chris actually is one of the best net ratings on the team. I, I, I'm just joking. Yeah, last year that was where, that was the joke. But um, I, 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 you know, I, I'm still not going to say he's like some great positive player, but. No. Um, yeah but but so yeah that's actually where i wanted to kind of go with with the meat of this is we're so now these guys were drafted a year and a half ago it is a a good time in certain circumstances though i'm not necessarily saying these guys are there if you really if you with the knowledge that as a team and that's a lot of information we don't have feel that this guy's never gonna get it a year and a half is actually a really good time to trade them because a lot of other teams won't have figured it out yet but you have to be pretty confident in that because it's even kind of before some of the second draft stuff so what I want to talk about a little bit with you and, and in the context maybe of that Phoenix-Sacramento game is how are you feeling about that paradigm of like, is it time to cut bait? Is it, oh, there's more here, there's more that they can grow? Well, it's complicated by the fact that they have all these draft picks coming still, right? They have this pick from the Bucks in the Bledsoe trade. They have the two still coming from Miami. And so, I mean, ideally what you'd probably want to do is trade him for a, another pick. You know, trading him for a vet doesn't really make much sense right now and they also that would lead to having to take on more salary which they don't really want to do uh maybe they could try to use those guys to dump a Tyson Chandler or Jared Dudley and get into this 
year's free agent market to get a veteran who fits a little bit better with this core but I'm not thinking that that it's really time to do that either so I think you just hold on to them and hope that they work out I mean they're still gonna have plenty of playing time the rest of this year and if they don't work they don't work uh but you know I'm not even sure even if they wanted to go the trade route do you think they could get a first round pick for either of those guys right now I'm thinking it would be a bad one I'll tell you it would be a bad one it would be a bad one I I think I think there is a possibility just because and and what do they need with that now anyway right they got a ton of (laughs) picks already they have a ton of picks already and I I mean they could try to play the asset game as they did in uh trading up to get Chris to begin with you know it's just more ammo there and and it's also those guys aren't good enough as assets the biggest move in terms of salary that they could do is not moving Dudley or Tyson Chandler it would be trying to get at least out of the last year of Brandon Knight's contract but his value can't be any the last year the last uh two years i think you mean no well i mean the hope because the the issue with knight is that he runs a year longer than everybody oh, else oh, in so 2019 that, i see what you mean right so you want to yeah. get i i don't think you're ever gonna you're gonna get out of all of his remaining contract but let's say you could get out of most of that last year by getting a guy who also sucks or isn't providing much value but has a shorter contract you know that that is a value to them because then they can really cash in in 2019 which is the year devin booker will be a restricted free agent but this isn't the time that that trade would happen that would probably be more like next trade deadline when it's a lot closer and teams know what they're doing and all that kind of stuff and maybe there's a team that it doesn't make a difference to them they're not going to be flexible either way but it's it's hard for me because i i mean i was high i was higher on dragon bender and you every once in a while you see him make a nice pass or you see him hit a shot and you go oh there's a his, lot. his release from three continues to improve right and so you, so you see those moments with him and you go oh he can be a lot better than he's been but then you, you also sit back and go he's rebounding less than 10 percent of available rebounds and he's still over seven feet tall and yeah he's not playing the five as much as you know some people would say that he could eventually and then with chris certain elements of his skill are absolutely getting better like he looks like a better basketball player now but the pattern recognition and the the just reaction time stuff isn't getting better by enough to me and so maybe it's spending the last season and a half covering javel mcgee but when you see a guy even though chris is of course significantly younger when that part of it isn't improving it it puts it maybe it's a temporary ceiling but there's only so much better that you can be if you can't react quickly enough to change stuff yeah one thing i'd like to see more of from chris is just more work around the rim right i mean he's not even shooting 50 percent from two and you would think that this is a guy who should be getting like all these dunks and like putbacks around the rim with his athleticism and, and a lot of it is just you know he's not hitting those kind of shots and his shot selection is bad i mean this is a team that does not have good shot selection and josh jackson also i mean we need to talk about him too much because we've hit on him extensively before but i mean i I watched you know the last quarter of that philly game the other night and he just drove down the lane line and got bumped and threw up a floater that hit the corner of the backboard i mean it was just like just stop taking those floaters josh like don't take any jumpers except wide open threes like find a way to be efficient and be effective i mean he's been one of the very worst players in the nba and if they didn't have to play him all the time they might actually be a lot more competitive but you know for the 20 minutes that he's out there it's just it's tough to be good offensively because of the fact that he shoots too much and shoots really badly and shoots really bad shots on that high note let's move on to the dallas mavericks they're 13 and 25 six and five since the last time we did this negative 1.9 net rating puts them 21st in the league 19th in offense 15th in defense and 538k 
gives them a 10% chance of making the playoffs. And something I wanted to mention at the beginning, because we'll, we'll talk more about Dennis Smith, and we've, we've each watched some of their games in the recent past. But I'm impressed that they've been in the, they've had one of the five lowest turnover rates in all of the last six seasons. And Yes, they play more point guardy guys than than most, but this year they also be... never run. You you actually yeah. turn the ball over more often in transition. Right, you get more good looks, but you also turn the ball over more. But considering they're giving significant minutes to a rookie point guard, I am impressed by them being in the top five again this year. Yes, that has not been bad. And Dennis Smith continues to not shoot the ball amazingly well, except for the last two minutes against Oklahoma City when he banked in a three and included it in all of his other shots. Yeah. Yeah, but he also hit another three. I mean, he started to get the three ball going. He had a triple-double yeah. in that win at New Orleans. I mean, that's a pretty damn good set uh, winning at New Orleans and at OKC. And Smith played well in both of those games. I mean, a lot of, on a game-to-game basis, is just going to be dependent on whether his three ball is falling or not. But down the end of that OKC game, I know he banked in that one three, but he actually outdueled Russell Westbrook in that game and was able to get a switch, blow to the rim for a bucket. I mean, one thing like when he gets a big on him like he's just so fast that he can just go in a straight line drive and just blow by that guy you know just and the three ball is like just good enough that they feel like they got to get out there especially if he happens to be hitting it in that particular game and you watched his game against new orleans more closely i know you want to share some additional thoughts there yeah i mean i would i there so there are a lot of things that i liked with him one of them was that the threes in that so in that game he was i think it was five of seven from three that's correct that yeah. one and they were all in rhythm and he actually turned down a couple of those to make passes so he wasn't overshooting because he was hot and they were set he had his feet set some were catch and shoot some were pull-ups and something that that struck me especially because i think i watched this game shortly after we did a rockets game was that he likes a low bounce pass which is actually somewhat similar to one that james harden throws but he's way worse at it so yeah. there are times passing, when it looks he'll see the pass but his passing accuracy is not quite there so far right and so you could take that in a positive way or you can take that in a negative way the fact that he can see like there was another one in that game where he was driving mile a minute in in the that's not that fast mile a second fine and uh and he he didn't see the easy pass there was a pass to another guy who was closer to the basket he got it over to west matthews who was wide open in the corner for a three and like that's the type of play that most guys as fast and as young as he is aren't going to see and then aren't going to make the pass It, it was a little bit of a looper but it was still it got there in plenty of time for him to make the open shot but on the low bounce passes the ones that work well are beautiful he had one it was a slip pass to Sala Mejri which was just perfect in the exact pocket where he needed it and then he had a really nice one to Dirk and transition on a play that I was watching it and just I didn't even see it until until he made the pass that, that it was there and so that was good but then there are other times where he overuses it and it's just not in an area either where his teammate can catch it easily or where somebody else can just put a hand on it and when you have a low bounce pass that somebody can touch it's generally going to lead to something really good going the other way because you just kind of have guys moving in that direction, whereas your your guys are moving in the wrong direction. So I think that part of it can it, it can get better for him, but it, it, it's interesting. And the biggest thing for me, it, other than his three point shot and getting more consistent with that, is that he that small gains in terms of tightening up his handle will have big returns. And if he can really stay healthy at the end of this year and into the summer and work on that, because his he's just such a great athlete that he he'll be able to at that point then you know. 
know, if he can get that separation, then develop moves and counters and kind of tied in with that, just get a little bit more craft finishing at the rim. And the guy he could look at with this is Lillard, where Lillard is another great athlete and has gotten far better at this because there were some times in that game where he created separation like on Boogie and then he gets to AD and he just like, well, crap, there's nothing I can do here. And so sometimes he forced the shot and got blocked and sometimes he tried to pass out in an awkward way. And so the tools he has are the tools that most players would kill to have. But you still have to do a lot of work to actualize that and make it into a productive player couple more notes on him I, I do think that he has a nice knack for dump off passes around the rim he finds pretty good angles for those and he was injured with that groin injury at the time but I saw him just do some warming up shooting around before that Golden State game he hit about 50% of his you know catch and shoot three pointers just in warm which is not that's not great for an NBA player for a 19 year old rookie maybe it's okay uh you know and he wasn't going at like you know some awesome like game speed or anything like that uh that would have made it that difficult so he you know if I had to predict where he's going to end up shooting the three ball you know I think he's going to be low 30s at best this season he takes a lot of attempts off the dribble but it's enough that it's projectable you know I don't see him ever being like a really great three-point shooter but as long as he can get to 35 36 percent you know he can get kind of beyond like the John Wall range he can allow his athleticism to take hold if you just feel like all right we can't go under on this guy every time uh really quickly we don't have time to do a full breakdown on him but uh Moxie Kleba has really given this Dallas team something and I think their season in large part turned around when they stopped playing Noel and started playing him and he he's can shoot the three he can get up for alley-oops I mean he's not going to get up to the like the top of the square but enough that he's like if he's at a standstill you know Smith threw him an alley-oop from the three-point line when he was just kind of standing under the rim and he was able to jump from a standstill go up and dunk it uh he's been efficient and then defensively I mean they the Warriors actually had him guarding Kevin Durant and KD started lighting him up by the end but he at least was like he can move his feet well enough in a, in a switch or guarding on the perimeter that he's a decent fit next to Dirk in the starting lineup with Dirk playing as more of a traditional center and then uh, I've just I've generally liked what I've seen you know I'm not sure if he's like a starting big on a good team but definitely a rotation caliber guy and a guy that they got essentially for the minimum another good find uh by Dallas's uh, European scouting staff uh shall we move on here we shall the Sacramento Kings are 12 and 12 24 four and six since the last 15 and 60 they are dead last in net rating at negative 10 they are 30th in offense and 30th in defense wow i hadn't i hadn't seen that i hadn't gotten to that point in the sheet but that's not great Uh, yeah, amazing but, that they don't have the worst record in the conference right now. No, they don't. And, and it, it, I'm sure some of this is unfortunate because they did have some some encouraging signs in the last couple weeks. They had that win against Cleveland where they pretty much, I mean, they, they knocked them out of that game, won by ended up winning by 14, but they were up, I think, yeah. 18 or Vince 20. Vince Carter had 24 yeah. in that game. Vince had 24. They beat the they beat the Sixers. I believe Embiid didn't play in that game. They beat the Nets, and that was so that was two games. They won. They split a road trip against, you know, some quality opposition but they have some some really tough fundamentals and i'm struggling to reconcile and i watch a fair amount of the kings i'm struggling to reconcile how much of that is personnel and how much of that is i don't know something bigger than that because so they're dead last in free throw rate they're bottom five in effective field goal percentage on both ends of the floor so offensive and defensive so you, you sit there and look at that and you go okay you know they, they just need more aggressive drivers you know De'Aaron fox is going to get better he's also missed some time recently but then they also they take the most 
most mid-range shots. They take the second fewest shots at, at the rim and the second fewest shots from three, and they give up the most threes. So they have to, just in terms of those elements, like we've talked before about how the Nets do a lot of the right things, but they just aren't good enough. The, the Kings don't do a lot of those right things, and they have a lot of players on their roster right now that they want to be a part of the next good Sacramento Kings team. And so that's something that I'm just kind of struggling to wrap my head around. It's They're in a very odd place. And while we kind of made fun a little bit of George Hill's expressed frustration about, oh, they said they were going to try and win. It's like, yeah, we'll take a look at the roster, George. You're not going to win. Uh, but they are in a weird place. I mean, George Hill leads the team in minutes per game with 27. They have seven players averaging 23 minutes a game or more. And that's a little misleading because, you know, obviously some guys are injured and, and that'll increase that. But they've even, and they have... 14 players i'm sorry 13 players who have played 18 games or more and are averaging in double digits in minutes so the rotation is never the same it seems like from game to game they, i guess they found something a little bit with the bigs now um with zebo starting and then the kufos Kali stein combination which actually has not been that terrible for them but it's just they're playing so many guys and getting looks at so many guys and the rotation changes so often you can understand why there might be some frustration also worth noting that despite all of that you you mentioned that they have the second worst record in the conference they have had to be by far the luckiest team in the nba to get there they have won 4.4 more games than expected based on their point differential and that is tops in the league by 1.4 no i'm sorry that's not correct by 1.6 wins phoenix is actually the second luckiest chicago is the third luckiest no that's not, that's not right either phoenix is the fifth luckiest chicago is the 12th luckiest i had that wrong uh miami is actually the second luckiest team in the nba but nonetheless sacramento is the luckiest team in terms of their wins over their point differential so they are a lot worse and this is when you consider this is the last year they have their draft pick until 2020 that's almost really unlucky and just imagine where they would be without uh, what Zach Randolph did in December. Zebo averaged 18 and 8 on 59% true shooting and 28% usage, largely as a starter, which is just awe-inspiring at this point in his career. And getting it done in mid-range, I mean, he he made 52% of his mid-range jumpers in December, which is incredible. And he's shooting about an equal proportion from mid-range, from floater range, and from at the basket, and making a similar percentage of the first two. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is luck frankly i think from all of the i mean he's a guy who's really struggled at the rim lately with his lack of explosion but he shot 69 percent at the rim and as you mentioned basically on twos outside the restricted area he's 53 percent this uh in in december so I, I don't expect that to continue by any means but it's been fun while it's lasted and that stretch actually has him up to 56 percent true shooting on 27 percent usage uh and shooting a few more threes which i think is important more so for the spacing it provides and the actual uh percentage that they're hitting and uh Bogdan Bogdanovich a guy who I think they might want to give the ball to a little bit more in pick and roll just because I think he's got a more versatile jumper higher release than someone like Buddy Heald so he can actually take the jump shot off the dribble in pick and roll and that's something that they really lack um so considering how well he shot it I'd say you know give him some more chances with the ball in his hands and see you know how far he can push that because they're so bad offensively he could get a 
lot less efficient with more attempts and still be a help relative to what they're getting. And he's, he's also a capable passer. I think he can make good decisions. And the criticism in that way of him, in terms of particularly his pick and roll ball handler, but also just of his overall aggressiveness, is that he doesn't get to the basket very much, and he also doesn't draw many fouls. So that would be an element that would be nice for them, especially because it could be a more reliable offense for the whole team. But he does the other stuff well enough that I would absolutely give him the ball more. Frank Mason continues to play well. He actually, with De'Aaron Fox out with that quad injury, was actually in the starting lineup. Uh, and then he departed Sunday's desultory loss to the Grizz with a bruised right heel. Unclear exactly how long he's going to be out. But uh, Mason has uh, maybe been, uh, George Hill has shot the ball well recently, but Na- Mason has probably been their most dynamic point guard uh, to date. Although, again, another guy who, all right, it seems like he's playing well. And then you dig into the stats, eh, 48% true shooting. Like, let's calm down a little bit here you know and it seems like the team plays well when he's out there he's a decent passer he'll push it in transition but you know still not an efficient player so we'll see whether he's actually able to be you know i don't see him ever being a a starter type of player but or even a solid backup due to his size limitations but you know he's a guy who's looked better than you know his actual statistics have indicated so far let's uh let's move on to memphis memphis who beat the kings but are still behind them in record at the moment i think that's a temporary condition 12 and 25 4 and 7 since the last time we did this negative 3.5 net rating is 24th in the league 24th in offense 21st in defense and they've you know they've had some some rough goes of it as of late but they played i mean the game that we saw actually you know they, so they've been, they that's true i shouldn't say they had a rough go of it as as of late because they their losses other than the one to the warriors have all been pretty close in the last little while but i mean i it's just when you when you watch them the thing that's most striking is just how much they rely right now on Marcus Gasol and then Tyreek has had a really nice year as well but there there just isn't enough around them to build a team that can win and if they get Mike Conley back then of course that's a whole different thing but for right now those guys are just going against some heavy win well and I saw Conley warm up prior to that game uh, took a, a short video of it on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA and I would be shocked if he plays based on the way I saw him moving and the intensity of his workout I would be shocked if he plays in the next two weeks they've continually said oh it's going to be two or three weeks gonna be two or three weeks so he's supposed to be reevaluated at some point or another and you know mike wallace who's with uh their internal media site tweeted out a video from friday's workout saying hey you know he's having these big workouts but looked about the same level of intensity again for conley I mean, he's kind of jogging through not jumping more than six inches off the ground just taking like some set shots some very ginger floaters but nothing explosive nothing where he's really like trying to push it and that's the problem with these achilles injuries in particular any kind of tendon injury and especially for, for the achilles tendon is if you're gonna come back you just say out of kind of all right we're gonna do some rehab we'll strengthen it but you know the achilles tendon doesn't really heal you know you just gotta kind of strengthen around it and it's gonna always i think be a chronic problem until in fact you end up tearing it which no one wants to have happen of course and this is for those who don't recall is a recurrence of that injury that befell him at the end of the 2015-16 season and so you have to just ramp up the activity so slowly because there's a risk of hey you do too much and now you have a setback and you're right back at 
at square one in terms of having it build up so you just you have to push it very slowly and see okay am i all right you know i can handle this we're gonna do that again let's see whether that's doing the same thing two days in a row am i sore can i do that okay now maybe i can up the activity a little bit more and so considering the fact that he wasn't doing any kind of explosive movements at all i mean i'm not a physical therapist but it would just be a surprise to me if he plays within the next two weeks given where he kind of was that i mean it's good to see him moving around good to see him shooting but not with no explosive movements at all you have to imagine i mean and then he's got to get back to where he's actually going to play two on two and three on three i mean i think once he even is able to go full speed you're probably another week away after that just in terms of like kind of taking the steps to get him back up to game shape and game action and that all ties in with their schedule and so it should be clarifying for memphis because they have a lot of home games and so they have in january it's nine home games and four road games so yeah i would have thought a 12 and 25 record was clarifying but you know that's just me yeah it could be although although you know we we deserve to eat a little crow because we were saying the same thing about the clippers and while i don't think their overall outlook has changed much as a franchise you know i think they got as good a chance as any of those guys now uh, of making the playoffs they do but i think i think the fundamentals for the clippers are better than they are for the grizzlies and oh certainly certainly i mean and and memphis is out of it a lot more and you know their main guy isn't coming back i mean but and when we made those pronouncements about the clippers we thought that griffin would miss two months and he ended up missing basically one month so that that's a big part of this too and Teodosic, we didn't know how long he was going to be out he came back a little earlier i think that helped them too right. so so my instinct because so what they have they have that nine and four split but a lot of their home games are against good teams i mean they play the wizards and the pels and the spurs and the clippers and, the, and we'll see what, what sixers team they face but i think what what they should be doing is saying okay well well this year you know whether you want to call it a lost year or whatever else but there are questions about well what does that really mean for them i mean trading tyreek to me that's that's more the obvious piece because just get something for the guy congratulations you found him that's wonderful but he's non-bird and all that kind of stuff but then outside of that you have a lot of players that aren't necessarily great values on their contract so i think you listen you do a lot of listening at this point and see what see what's out there so maybe it's kind of that frustrating thing where you try to retool especially if they want to keep james ennis because they could just resign him they have uh early bird rights on him and that's probably going to be enough i don't know how they're feeling about him but i like james ennis i've liked james ennis for a long time but i don't know where they go with the information that they have because if we assume that for different reasons Conley and Gasol are off the market and Parsons is too they're going to be pretty much the same team next year yeah and Parsons has continued to miss time periodically with his knee injury we didn't see him against Golden State one person we did see though was Kobe Simmons who had the best game of his young career on a two-way out of Arizona grew up in the Georgia area was a heralded prospect put up 17 points made his only three three three-pointers of the season to date and he's actually been playing over 20 minutes the game four out of the last five uh, i asked uh, interim coach jb bickerstaff i congratulate myself on not saying bernie as someone who grew up with bernie bickerstaff as a nba head coach uh, i asked jb bickerstaff uh, his impressions of simmons play to date coach uh, tough game tonight but uh kobe simmons had a nice one for those who may not follow the, the grizzlies on a game-to-game basis so what have you gotten from him this year and what are you trying to work with them on still to improve uh, well, he spent quite a bit of time with our G League team, and just the past couple weeks, uh, he's been playing with us more. We've had some time with him in practice, and you know, when you take a look at him, uh, he's the vision of what the new NBA is, right? He's speedy, he's athletic, uh, he's a playmaker, and he's versatile. And you look at it, the way teams are going and how they're building their teams, they're trying to put as much skill, speed, you know, and ability on the floor 
um, at all positions. So, you know, we believe that he can be that type of player. Um, you know, his speed, you know, is unmatched by many. Uh, his athleticism is unmatched by many. So, you know, he's, he's got some work to do to keep improving, but everything we've asked him to do, he's done. You know, his effort's been good. His commitment to getting better has been good. Um, so we're looking forward to working with him. Yeah, and so I I would agree with JB in the sense that he's got a lot of length at a true six five and a ton of quickness too. I mean, still Steph Curry absolutely torched him at times, but you know there's a lot of guys who've gotten torched by by Steph Curry. But there are a couple of times when he, Curry got more separation than Kobe wanted, and he just covered the ground just extremely quickly to make up that space. He's also a guy who can get up at the rim more of kind of a contest dunker than like a really athletic guy at the rim. He has not. Been able to apply that yet uh in either his pre-nba or nba career uh, in the g league though encouragingly he's uh 41 on threes uh, obviously early on uh 58 true shooting and 21 usage so he's been effective in the g league really this is the the other type of guy you want to get on a two-way contract a guy who still has a lot of athletic upside some shooting potential some defensive potential he simmons also has to get a ton stronger as well to kind of fulfill that vision that, that bigger staff laid out in that quote for him but certainly a guy who looks well worthy of trying to develop a, on a two-way contract and uh someone that we will monitor uh, had a fun game in that golden state game um i want to mention one right, other thing quickly the... no yeah. i want to mention okay. one other thing quickly deontay davis had some nice moments in the game we saw and he is actually shooting 78 percent in the restricted area this year that's probably a little bit strong for him but i mean if he could stay anywhere close to that that's you know it's a reasonably effective offensive player and so I still worry about his defense a little bit I, th- I don't know exactly where he is but if he can slot in as just backup big minutes for them next year then that helps because they're going to need to figure out how they want to run this rotation and one other thing too Marcus Liam, when he focused in on Memphis said hey Marcus really has fallen off defensively that's something that we've been monitoring even as far back as a couple years ago last year that was kind of obscured by the fact that he was shooting threes and developed that part of his game but i mean the last few times i've watched him including basically that whole golden state game like i can't remember the last time i saw the guy make a good defensive play to be honest like i mean and golden state obviously is a bad matchup for him but he was made to look bad a number of times um you know he's never been a great switch guy you know that highlight where stuff you know basically like made him almost fall down and hit a three you know he's never going to look good there but in terms of pick and roll defense in terms of protecting the rim really have not seen it the positive plays from him that we saw early in his career when he was in defense play of the year form the last team on this list and i think this will be a surprise to a fair number of people i think it was a surprise to you the los angeles lakers 11 and 25 1 and 10 since the last 15 and 60 because yeah that's that's incredible and and that one win was in houston against the rockets it's pretty amazing yeah with paul and harden healthy i believe right right? oh no no No, because paul Paul didn't play for that one yeah that's right uh so their their negative 3.7 net rating puts them 25th in the league 28th in offense 12th in defense God, I remember when somebody was saying when they were like fifth or sixth that they were going to take a step back and got a ton of crap on Twitter for it. Huh, I wonder what happened there. Um, and and so the, <laughs> well, but part of what's happened probably is they're playing worse, uh, worse defensive players. Yeah, that is, and 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 they they have missed Lonzo on both ends of the floor. He's been out with his shoulder issue. It that so, it sounds like he's going to be back at least late this week, which would be great. And just kind of getting the rotation back settled. But there's this duality with the Lakers. What I see the rest of the year because they're out of it 
for the playoffs. I mean, basically, even before today's loss to the, the Wolves, they had to win at a 52-win pace to get to 500. They're not going to do that. They, they're better, I think, than they've been, but they're not that much better. But I still fully expect them to pass the Suns, the Grizzlies, the Kings, and the Mavericks. Maybe the Mavericks. That's the one that's harder because if they get set back. To, to, because they don't have the incentive to tank and just because I think they're better than they've been. And so I don't know how that makes anybody feel. You know, it, there's a lot to go into it. But, you know, I, I, I don't look at this 11 to 25 and go, oh, they're in, in some sort of big trouble. Oh, there's something there. I mean, there have been some signs from the young guys that I've really liked, but it is worth taking stock of, of that and just figuring out, okay, well, what do we do with this piece of information? Another piece of information that I wanted to focus on, uh, Tyler Ennis, a, a guy whose performance we were enamored of at the end of last season, has not gotten the chance to play. Looked good against Houston at double, uh, 20 points in their double OT loss the other night. The thing that's, uh, but he was in there to close instead of Jordan Clarkson, but and you're going to talk a little bit more about kind of how they've handled the guard rotation with Lonzo out which I think has been interesting uh I mean the big thing that Ennis is keeping him from being the player that he was last year and again in pretty limited minutes is that he just hasn't hit the three ball and the fact that he shot 38 percent in LA I mean he looked more comfortable taking the three but to go from where he was as kind of a non-shooter to that type of a shooter was you always felt there was going to be a regression but he's 0 of 10 on threes if he just you know made four of those he's at that that point where you know he'd be right back where he was last year in terms of efficiency overall but I liked his burst a little bit off the dribble struggled a little bit defending Chris Paul that's gonna happen as well but Danny like how Luke Walton seems to really really be searching with not only Lonzo Ball out but also KCP intermittently not available because he has this restriction where he can't leave the state of California so in the first game Walton did what I I kind of thought he was gonna go to and he started Jordan Clarkson as the you know kind of as the point guard and then and gave Ennis and, Car- and Alex Caruso, who's one of their guys on two-way contracts, 10 plus minutes each. Neither one of those guys was great. The team was outscored. So then the next game, Clarkson started and played 38 minutes. So he played a little bit more. Ennis and Caruso only each got four minutes. So you're kind of going, okay, well, they're they're trusting Clarkson more and they're doing that. Then the next game, they're like, okay, uh, Ennis didn't ha- couldn't play with because he had the flu. They played Caruso six minutes and they didn't start with a point guard, but still played Jordan Clarkson 35 minutes. We're going to have to name this after a player at some point. I don't know who that's going to be yet. I mean, Miritich is one of those. And they got killed in the minutes when they didn't play with a point guard. They were negative 16. So even in, so it was a game when they got their butts kicked overall, but they were plus one when Clarkson was out there. So then they reacted to that by saying, okay, let's let's start Ennis to play Clarkson a little bit less. I mean, play and play Clarkson a little bit less. Ennis, that was his best game against Houston. They, they almost won that. But so you have all this kind of stuff. So they've been trying to figure it out. They've tried a bunch of different alignments. Nothing's really worked. I think that's more of a personnel issue than anything else they just don't have the guys but you talk about all that stuff and they've lost you know they've lost 10 out of their last 11 games their offensive rating during that time partially because they've been in some genuine shootouts is 107 and you go 107 that's not too great all that kind of stuff yeah but it's 101.5 for the season and those numbers are before their game in minnesota today so like so you have that you go well they're they're just they they haven't been a good offensive team all year they're still not a good offensive team yeah i mean they have played more offense oriented lineups now with kyle kuzma finally starting they actually started randall and Kuzma together after Randall it seemed like yeah. uh, was disappointed with only playing eight minutes uh, and 
they've had some close losses i mean they had the those two losses to golden state which were both very competitive uh, they beat houston in that game they lost an ot at houston so they haven't just been like getting killed well yeah and the portland game when lonzo got hurt they right. were in that game the whole way so I, i'm sure it is frustrating to be one in ten and, and they also you know with brooke lopez being out i mean he's still a decent player you know it's not like and they've had to go more basically like without any kind of a center you know andrew bogut we mentioned on the patreon mailbag one of our favorite segments that he is uh on track for more fouls than points this year that was an illustrious group that we went through as really a, a a tour down memory lane in nba history to do that you can uh, of course check that out at patreon.com slash duncan larue if you're willing to uh pay a the monthly subscription fee but it's just gonna really difficult to defend i mean they're trying to just switch everything now you know with randall who is not a bad switch defender kuzma is a bad switch defender um the other thing that i noted about them too is at the end and watched the end of them at a lot of close games that they played it's always brandon ingram with the ball at the end and i just wonder you know kyle kuzma isn't going to be handling the ball at the top of the key but how about running some more plays for him like he's a better offensive player than ingram is right now i mean ingram doesn't trust the jump shot just wants to get to his right hand every time and just kind of you know go through guys and see what happens when he goes to his right and i don't think that that's necessarily particularly effective so how about giving kuzma an iso or try to pick and pop and get the switch and let kuzma get into the post or, or set a screen for kuzma to come out and shoot a three you know i think he really we advocated for him to get more of a chance with how efficient he's been and uh, I would hope that they could try to do that. I mean, because like, what has Ingram done to earn like getting a pick and roll every single time in crunch time right now? It's definitely worth at least considering. And I think one of the goals of the remainder of the season is beyond looking good for free agents and all that kind of stuff is trying out the Lonzo, Ingram, Kuzma trio. And and you could add in KCP there when you can, just because I think he's a reasonable proxy for, for the shooting guard spot. And, and those guys just, I think they just need more time first of all you want to see if they can gel they say they played 459 minutes so far and it's not like they've been great together or anything like that but just because if those are the guys that you think are the core of the next next team you need to see how they fit and you want them to build some chemistry last thing here i continue to like what i've seen from josh hart he played a lot of minutes as well in that houston game starting to shoot the ball better from three get up to now league average efficiency after starting off pretty poorly and a solid defender if not you know I, I would think of Hart to me kind of seems kind of similar to like a Courtney Lee you know which is a, a solid player I think maybe Lee actually has a little bit more explosion than Hart does but in terms of his defense you know I think he's not gonna be a stopper but he can be solid and it can make the open three likes to get out of transition so I, he's a guy to keep an eye on you know not gonna be a star or anything but a, a guy who I think is gonna be a rotation player in the NBA at a minimum for a long time and there's serious value to getting that guy on a four-year contract with two teams options at a, a basically the minimum yeah because he's older too you know right. that's going to take him into the early part of his prime it will and then you have restricted rights on that and so yeah I, th- I think he can be a nice piece for them and we've talked about how wings are just so valuable in the league so even if rotation player is what he ends up being getting that for the price they're paying is going to be fabulous all right that'll do it for today danny anything that that we need to plug we talked about the patreon podcast uh, you also did the the first edition of your 
uh, Danny story time, I guess. Can we call it that? We could call it that. Uh, yeah, and I'll do another one. So that was on the piece I wrote about cost-cutting trades. And then I'm going to do one on individual max contracts at some point this week whenever I get the time. That piece hasn't been published yet, too, so I always have to wait for that. Uh, I'll have... I have a new podcast with Jared Weiss on the Celtics uh, for Real Jam Radio. That's out. And I'll have, you know, more stuff coming out in the in the near future. It's going to be it's gonna be fun. I mean, now we're getting kind of back into the rhythm. We justifiably kind of, you know, shifted and with, with New Year's and Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And now, you know, we're, we're close to the halfway point. That was something that struck me when we were going through this is we're getting close. And th- there's some clarification that will happen in the next two to three weeks that will be important for where this goes because we're getting closer to the deadline too. Oh, man, I know. Yeah, mock trade deadline. We were just scheduling that today. It's going to be like two weeks from now, which uh, always one of our favorite podcasts of the year, of course. And then don't forget about the Tour NBA show on Thursday. Golden State at Houston lost a little bit of its luster, but I think it'll still be a good game. Always enjoyable when those two teams get together. That's it. Talk to you all next time. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.